Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And uh, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It helps new people find our podcast. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I am at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, same thing, I Love That Movie Podcast. Uh, and yeah, so I don't have any big announcements for myself personally coming up to plug, but I do have a guest with me here today that I'll introduce in a second, and he has two events coming up. One is on the 29th at the Central Arts of Hearst, uh, two Texas-made shorts followed by the Monster Phantom Lake, uh, and then on the 30th at the Richardson Draft House, we're going to have a late-night double feature. In the mid-afternoon, it should yeah. say, not to ju- not to talk over you, but it's a late it's a late-night double feature. In the mid-afternoon. Oh, okay, okay. That's that's good to uh, to mention. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you for walking me back a little bit yes. on that then. <laughs> Late night double feature during the day. Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself, Christopher. If you've heard this show, um, if you've heard him before, he's been on several episodes, but he's back today. So go ahead and introduce yourself in case people haven't heard you before. Right. I'm the guy who just rudely talked over you. Uh, I apologize for that, <laughs> but I just weird. didn't want anybody showing no up late night. Like, where's the late night double feature? Yeah, uh, that would be it, awkward. It was earlier. <laughs> the movie itself is called the late night double feature, but we'll be playing it on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, very confusing. Hi, I'm Christopher <laughs> R. Bim. I'm a filmmaker. I make new, old, good, bad, cheesy movies. Uh, I've been on this show before. It's one of my favorite podcasts on the internet, and that is no lie. Uh, and uh, I seem to be the guy who you always bring on when we want to discuss Tim Burton. Right. This is true. Um, we've talked Beetlejuice, um, and at length see. about how we should do all these other Tim Burton movies. <laughs> right, and then not actually done that yet. So, right. <laughs> so here we are today. So this this episode uh, has been a long time in the making. Um, I think honestly, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say this because we've kind of talked about this before. But when I first met you, and when I first got introduced to your universe of movies. Um, the more that we got to talking about Tim Burton and the more that we got to talking about just the content in your films and how they're made and how you have a whole community around you, um, I thought about this movie and I thought about suggesting it. But then I kind of thought, well, I feel like that should be something coming from you (laughs) and not me forcing that upon you. Um, But fortunately, we were kind of on the same wavelength. And so this is a movie that you've talked about doing a lot. And that movie is... Ed Wood. Yes, the 1994 cult classic, I guess you could call it. Well, based on how little it actually made at the box office, but how it stood the test of time, yeah, it's basically a cult classic at this point. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, I I remember it being well received by critics. But it and, flopped. I yeah, mean, it flat out flopped. It had flopped. like an $18 million budget made like $5 million. Yeah, I mean, it really did poorly. But then, of course, uh, it won some Oscars. And, and it's, I think it's probably one of, you know, if I if I may be so bold, I think it's probably one of, if not the best Tim Burton movie. Um, I agree. I, I love Beetlejuice. I think Beetlejuice is a great, you know, example of his weirdness and his style. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this is 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 Ed Wood. Ed Wood. This is uh, Tim Burton firing on all cylinders, and really, you can tell that this, you know, the subject matter alone just speaks to him, and just sort of the outsider nature of Ed Wood as a person, and you know, the cheesy movie thing that I mean, you can see it throughout all of. Uh, Tim Burton's works that he's he's clearly influenced by, you know, the same kind of things that I'm influenced in my work. Uh, and this movie just kind of proves it that I mean, this is this is an absolute love letter uh, to that uh, that era, uh, the sort of low budget uh, cinema, uh, you know, the, the sort of Hollywood outsider, which Tim Burton, you know, in, invariably was when he sort of showed up. Uh, and so there's just it's it's an amazing film that deserved better at the box office, but I'm really happy that it has become such a cult classic. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, it's crazy how many parallels there are to uh, Tim Burton's life and career and influences right. and Ed Wood. I mean, and I think that that's no accident. And I think we've talked about on our previous episode that uh, when he's really in tune with sort of talking about who he is as a filmmaker and you know, just keeping the stories personal and close—that those seem to be his best movies, yes. uh, to me. Um, and I think you know that includes Beetlejuice and uh, Edward Scissorhands, and and this film. I think they're very, very personal. I feel like they're just about him and everything right. that he's trying to say, and it's very relatable. And I think when he makes that weirdness relatable, I, I think those are his strongest films. Yeah, um, I think it's it, it's when he's sort of allowed to play in his own sandbox is kind of the yeah. way I look at it, uh, where he's this is him and this is this is is you know because my thing about uh, Tim Burton now is I feel like whenever they try to put him in something that isn't necessarily his, they're trying to find something that might fit with him, like you know Alice in Wonderland or something. It doesn't quite work. Uh, it, it and when he's allowed to sort of go off the rails and do his own thing. And he did, uh, I, he did that a lot more, I think, earlier in his career uh, is where he really shines. Uh, yeah, you mentioned, it almost like, feels Edward like he pushed harder yeah. for his vision. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so for Ed Wood, did you see this in theaters or, or how did you come across this film? You know what? I never did get to see this one in the theater. Um, at least because uh, it was 94 and at the time I would have been like 18 years old and I just... Um, I really, at the time, I don't think I was seeing a lot of movies. I was, you know, finishing, I mean, high school and, and going into, I graduated high school in 1994, uh, you know, going to college and stuff. I didn't see a lot of movies. Um, and so this is one I did not see in the theaters. Uh, I have since seen it in a theater, uh, but I didn't see it in its original run. And I don't think I even really heard about it much until the Oscars sort of showed up, uh, and mm. they got, they got all the nods, uh, which is you know, that was a weird time in my life. So <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Um, and so I, I really didn't get a chance to see it until I, and I became much more interested in it, in it uh, much sort of later. I'd seen a lot of uh, Tim Burton's movies 
Uh, and for some reason, this one kind of, you know, snuck under the radar uh, until I heard about it sort of, you know, uh, getting uh, Oscar nominations and subsequently winning. Uh, and I think I ended up renting it uh, for the first time on VHS uh, or seeing it on cable, one of the two. Uh, and just being like, man, I wish I would have seen this in the theater. This is so good. Uh, yeah. And I think, uh, and this is this is kind of an interesting uh, side note uh, for this movie in particular, is that this is one of the, the movies that actually inspired me to start making actually making movies. I can um, see that. I, I think that there is so much merit to this film, and I don't know. I'll talk about it uh, when when I go into it, but I relate to it a lot. And I could totally see this enabling somebody just like, hey, just do it. Like find people that believe in you and support you and screw everybody else and just make the movie. I mean, that's what that's, Ed Wood did. You know? and, the, and that's exactly it. It's just I, I remember because um, my first movie, The Monster Phantom Lake, which we mentioned will be playing at the Central Arts of Hearst on June 29th. Um, uh, you know, that some of the inspiration for doing that movie came from one night just watching Ed Wood in, I think it was 2004. Uh, cause I'd gotten it on DVD, I think for the first time. And I was like, Ooh, I'm gonna, I'm, I got it on DVD now and I'll watch it. Uh, cause I think I'd owned it on, you know, VHS. Uh, and so I was watching it and there's a specific scene in it, uh, where they're doing the thing where they're shooting Glenn or Glenda and he comes out and the cops show up and they're like, we don't have a permit run. Uh, that whole thing, <laughs> there was something about the guerrilla filmmaking nature of it that I was like, man, I could do that. <laughs> yeah. I could do yeah. just full on guerrilla filmmaking, just point a camera at something and hope for the best. Uh, and I realized I was like, I should do that. I should, I should just make a damn movie. Uh, and that was the, that moment for some reason made me realize it was like, it was kind of like, if this guy can just do it back then when it was even harder to do, Way uh, harder. And do, yeah. do whatever the heck he wanted. Uh, and and now be known as, uh, and 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 now be known as uh, you know Ed Wood, uh, you know marquee name when he really wasn't in his life, uh, when he was alive. Uh, why the heck can't I? You know, it was like that sort of. He's like the pa patron saint of of doing because you want to, not necessarily because you can. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that mirrors. At least when I've watched, and, and we'll kind of dive more into this, I guess, when we get to that segment, but just real quick, I think that mirrors a lot how Tim Burton felt about filmmaking, especially at the time. Um, and I think that's pretty against the grain of the attitude of filmmaking in the 50s, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's just, it's inspiring to see a character like him. Um, right. Sort of all, against all odds and, and being so criticized. And it's like, well, I don't care. I just love movies and I, I definitely related to that part of his character I think so when I first saw this film I think it was because and I say this all the time but it's just what happened um my my father and my uncle liked this movie a lot they somehow heard about it probably because of the Oscars and they both really enjoyed it 
and then they kind of tried to get me to watch it. I don't know if I got it right away. I remember right. my dad driving me nuts because he would constantly do like Martin Landau style Bella Lugosi <laughs> impressions that drove me crazy. And I, to this day, he's like obsessed with Dracula. And I think it's because of this movie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, it took me a while to sort of, I think probably when I was a teenager, I understood it a little bit more um, in my maybe 18 or 19. Um, and since then, this movie has kind of become this thing where this is weird to say, but I was kind of putting off watching it again because I knew it was going to make me a little bit emotional. Yeah. I don't know if like other people feel that way when they watch this film, but I feel the Ed Wood character so deeply that it's kind of painful to revisit. Um, I think that there's... There's just something, you know, every single movie that Tim Burton makes has this sort of outsider quality, but I right. guess for whatever reason, out of all the outsiders, I get him the most. And so it's one of those things where, yeah, it's like, I, I, I have to sit down, but I also know that I'm going to tear up. I know that I'm going to feel excited. I know that I'm going to go through a lot of range of emotions and it's going to feel personal, even though it has like nothing to do with me. Right. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's my experience with the film. But I guess before we dive in more, let me go ahead and read a quick synopsis in case you guys haven't seen this movie yet, which, by the way, you should because this is not spoiler free. But if you also need to be talked into it, I understand sometimes I listen to podcasts and get everything spoiled for me. It inspires me to watch it. So hopefully you walk away with something. Um, so here we go. Ed Wood is a 1994 American biographical comedy drama filmed and directed and produced by Tim Burton and starring Johnny Depp as the cult filmmaker. The film concerns the period in Wood's life when he made his best-known films as well as his relationship with actor Bela Lugosi, played by Martin Landau. Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, Jeffrey Jones, Lisa Marie, and Bill Murray are among the supporting cast. That's it. <laughs> no, it's a... Um, synopsis. It's... It's it's one of my favorite movies, um, you know, partially, too, because it's shot in black and white. <laughs> yeah, I, I love uh, that, too. It reminds me of um, I was thinking about the artist when I was watching it this time. Another yeah, movie yeah. I really like. Well, it's just it's, you know, black and white is kind of a lost art. It really is um, mm -hmm. uh, like really good, well shot black and white movie uh, films. Uh, and I think it's I think people are just so afraid of, you know, the, there's there's a stigma attached to it of it being old or something, you know, or. Or too artsy, I think. Or too artsy, right? So, uh, yeah. and and you're currently talking. I mean, I'm. You're currently talking to a guy who's literally released 13 black and white films. So it's like, I love black and white photography. Um, and so it's it's one of those things where um, it's really nice to see a, a well shot black and white movie, which of course, based on the subject matter, it makes more sense than not, uh, just well, because. Yeah. yeah, and especially because Ed Wood's character is so influenced by Orson Welles too. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's just it's shot beautifully. It looks very cool, um, and I think they just do a really good job of recreating, especially Plan Nine from Outer Space. You know, the the shoot and and all the stuff behind it. But I think I think the story is what appeals to me the most of just the sort of the idea of having someone who's who's an outsider who really, really wants to do something uh, and maybe maybe doesn't necessarily have the talent for it, but it's just like, who cares? He wants to do it. Let the, let him try, you know, let him do it. And he just does it. Uh, and I think that's, for me, that's always, that's kind of been the way I've approached filmmaking myself is like, when I started doing movies, I didn't, you know, making movies, I had no real idea what I was doing and I kind of made it up as I went along. 
because I really wanted to, and I had the drive and ambition to do it. Um, and, and I think behind, for me as a filmmaker, that's, that's why, uh, this movie sort of speaks to me in that way is that I don't think before I saw Ed Wood, uh, I don't think that I'd ever really seen anybody portrayed so well on screen like that, that was like, maybe he's not the greatest of all time, right? So what? That doesn't matter. The point is, is that he did it. And, and what I also find kind of cool about that is that uh, during his lifetime and at the time, it was like, oh, that's the worst movie ever made, you know, and uh, Plan 9. And, and he's a terrible filmmaker. And, you know, he died kind of sad and alone and, you know, not in a great place. He had a horrible death. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's kind of cool to see that <clears throat> it's, it's cool to see that despite sort of like the sort of miss, you know, despite the, the way he's portrayed of people looking down on him and, and his work, uh, he's had, a, he, he and his work have had a longevity, uh, that others, you know, greater than him, quote unquote, don't, um, right. you know, he's become a cult figure. And to me, that's way more inter- interesting in that. And I, th- and I, and I do think that a lot of that has to do with this movie without Ed Wood, the movie, um, I think 99% of, of the world's population really wouldn't know who he was or celebrate him the way they do now. Um, because I think this sort of painted him in a way that maybe people didn't realize, you know, didn't, you didn't know it. You didn't know the story. It wasn't out there. And then when you actually were presented with the story and done so well, uh, and, 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 you know, this story of sort of Hollywood outsiders doing, doing their thing, regardless of, you know, whether or not people want them to or not, uh, <laughs> you know, really resonates with people. And that's why it's enjoyed cult status. But again, that's why there's, you know, cult film at all is just that it resonates on a level that's maybe not in the mainstream so much. And sometimes eventually then bleeds into the mainstream, which is, I think, what this movie did for, you know, Edward, Edward D. Wood Jr., you know what I mean? Uh, is that before that, he was this really fringe person, uh, this fringe personality who had made these not-so-great movies, and now he's sort of the epitome of, really, I mean, average people who've probably never seen a cheesy B-movie from the 50s, uh, or is only barely passingly familiar with them, uh, at least knows the name Ed Wood because of, I think, this movie. I don't think without it, they would. I don't think it would be synonymous with that sort of almost era of filmmaking. No, I agree 100%. I I know that's definitely true for me. And I think that this movie tapped into something that got um, even the Academy's attention because the Academy is made up of creative people. And there's always this disconnect between being creative and making money, right? Right. between being Hollywood, quote unquote, being fake and being real. And I think this movie made it okay to make a movie about somebody that's not great, that right. didn't achieve massive stardom. That And does that person matter and do they have value and does their creativity have value? And I think this movie is really a love letter, letter to that. It's like whether you get a bunch of Oscars or not or sell a bunch of seats or not, you created something and that in itself should be valuable and it, it is valuable and it's brave to put yourself out there and to do all these things. And, you know, it's great that they recognized him for that. I feel like maybe a lot of people secretly 
um, in the movie industry anyway, maybe not people outside of it, but maybe in the industry secretly kind of admired him a little bit. And they all had this shared feeling. And then these two writers kind of put this out there and Tim Burton directed this movie and it just kind of made it okay for all of us to go, Oh, you know what? We all kind of feel this way. Yeah. And I think <laughs> about this guy. And I think too, it's like, um, I was going to say, without Ed Wood, you wouldn't have Eddie the Eagle, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah. uh, which is a great movie in its own right. But of course, it's it's sort of celebrating someone who is not the best of the best, but has a fantastic story behind the idea that, um, you know, you don't have to celebrate just the best of the best of anything. Uh, sometimes um, just doing it, just having the heart and and wherewithal to go out and do something is is sometimes that's that's enough sometimes you might do something amazing and beautiful that you would never realize w- would never exist if you didn't just try and i think uh that's that's one of the things behind ed wood i get at least as a message is just like you know what maybe not everything he made was great but obviously uh it has lasting effect and it had an impression on people through this uh i think ed wood was was a, was allowed to live forever to a certain extent, uh, because here you and I are talking about him. He's been dead for, I think, as long as I've been alive, uh, and he made this, you know, these movies um, uh, years and years before either of us were ever born, and yet here we're talking about him. And I, I know that I've seen a lot of his movies, and I only had seen his movies because Ed Wood came out, and it's such a well-made film, a great story the way it's you know it's told really well uh it's paced really i mean just the whole thing about it i just really like it i think their casting choices are brilliant yeah totally agree i mean you mentioned it's so funny you just mentioned that um ed, ed and the eagle um that uh i had a q a this weekend at ArlingCon, and uh samantha and sarah who have also been on the podcast um were begging me to watch that they were like <laughs> i'm gonna physically put a dvd in your hand literally just talking about that saturday Nice. <laughs> so have to add that to my list. Well, uh, as we dive in, I've got a couple of quick facts I wanted to touch on. Um, and if you have thoughts on that, jump in. Or if you have your own facts, um, jump in with those too. Uh, but the first one I had was that Tim Burton said he was drawn to the story because of the similarities between Edward D. Jr.'s relationship with Bella Lugosi and his own friendship with Vincent Price later in the actor's life. Nice. Yeah, I just, you know, I obviously makes you think of Edward Scissorhands, which was Vincent right. Price, his last film. Right. Um, and it just, I would love to dive more into that. I, I searched around online and I've, I found that quote more than once in different places, but I haven't actually heard Tim Burton himself talk about that. Hmm. Um, who knows, maybe he's got some deeply personal stories that he just doesn't want to dive into. But right. I will say when I was watching the movie this time, um, I was thinking a lot about uh, Ed Wood's relationship with Bella Lugosi and just how relatable that would be to me and how I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I've got this really serious nostalgia bug that's really intense where I, I don't know, it's like I could totally see me doing what he did in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, that sort of hero worship that it's hero worship, but at the same time, it really humanizes Bella's character um, in the film and I don't know just all of it is so sad and so but so beautiful and so heartwarming and um, I I just love the fact that that in some way echoed Tim Burton's own personal experience I think you can see that in the film well and I think what also works really nice in the with the movie Ed Wood is it becomes a bit of a 
it becomes a bit of a, even a love letter to Bella Lugosi, who I think, right. um, you know, and you see it where he's always sort of making comments about Boris Karloff and stuff is that, uh, you know, Lugosi maybe, you know, didn't never got the same amount of sort of praise as other, you know, monsters of the era. Uh, right. He sort of, he was sort of the, uh, distant third, maybe, <laughs> you know, he's not Lon <laughs> Chaney. He's not, uh, you know, uh, he's not Boris Karloff. And so to a certain extent, he gets kind of short shrift. And I think, and, 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 unde- you know, undeservedly, I think he deserves, uh, you know, more sort of credit than he was getting. And I think this movie kind of helped point that out that, you know, Bela Lugosi deserved more, uh, attention and, you know, uh, recognition than he probably got. And, and, and I think this helped that, uh, in, in sort of, bringing to light, uh, you know, that no, he, he, he deserves to be up there with all these other folks a little bit more than, than maybe he, uh, I mean, to a certain extent he, he got it, but I think in the mainstream, um, I think he deserved more. And I think this movie probably helped, uh, and it helps that Martin Landau was amazing in it and deserved the Oscar. Yeah, in fact, his portrayal of Bela Lugosi marks the first time in Oscar history that a performer in any category won for playing a movie star. Wow. And, you know, a decade later, uh, Kate Blanchett won Best Actress in a Supporting Role uh, for her portrayal of Katherine Hepburn in The Aviator, which, again, is kind of another movie. I mean, obviously, Howard Hughes achieved greatness, but it's a, I guess, like a more raw, personal, painful look at, at him. Right. And not just being like, isn't he awesome? You know, so in a way, I kind of thought about that movie when I was watching this. And so when I saw that fact, I was like, I I can see that kind of connection. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think we've talked about before, like, a couple of, like, tattoos me and Nick want are, like, Bella Lugosi or Vincent Price tattoos. And we've always argued about who would get what. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, for me, the Bella Lugosi thing is probably from this movie, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, um, you know, there's something, I, I guess it's a theme that runs throughout the film, but I, I really hate this idea about how, you know, when someone's famous, you know, we always say fame is fleeting. Right. But what's weird about that is that, you know, if you, let's say you win like a Nobel Peace Prize, but then you never win another one. Nobody ever downplays the fact that you won one, you know? Right. And like, I feel like in almost You're forever Nobel industry, Prize winning whatever. Right. Or or even a, a acclaimed author or whatever it is. But for some reason, when it comes to fame, when it comes to Hollywood, it's like you were popular for that little time and now you're a garbage human because right. you're a has-been. And it's like, why is that? Why devalue everything that Bella Lugosi did, you know? But I, I, there's more to play there. We'll talk about like addiction and and other stigma because i feel like every single main character is dealing with some serious stigmas that frankly we're still dealing with but um but yeah i just that's always kind of bothered me and i think that's also kind of the point of this film you know we keep coming back to that idea that like the fame and the intense amount of accolades you get in the moment shouldn't even matter because it's like um or shouldn't be the only thing that matters rather. It's like once you did something good, you did something good and that's part of who you are. And we shouldn't have to go back and constantly question that, Um, which is kind of, kind of transfer into my ideas about Tim Burton here, or I guess kind of segue into 
thinking about Tim Burton because I think I'm guilty of doing that to him. Mm. <laughs> you know, where I've, we've talked about it before that we really like his early work, but then his later work I didn't like. But today I was, I was really, I was watching an interview with him just now and it, it was pretty long and I'll, I'll put a link to it. It was with the Hollywood Reporter. And I've noticed from watching that one and from other ones that he seems kind of, I don't know, he, the way that he reacts to how people, you know, see his movies or how they've been received is different from some directors in that I really feel like his career's kind of been all over the place, even though to us it seems really clear that like, oh, his earlier work was really good and now, I don't know, he's kind of a sellout. And, you know, number one, like I said, that shouldn't really affect how I see him as a director in the sense that he made some films that I really love, so I should just like him and not add that, but I don't like his stuff now, you know, right. sentiment to it. I just, But I, also, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think uh, I think there's a lot of that going on, too, with, uh, you, you find that a lot, I think, in in music a lot, too. Um, and this oh, is, you're uh, right. Is yeah. that you have, say, a, say a band you really like, Right. Uh, and, and you, you like their first like two or three albums. Uh, and then they're, you know, as artists, they want to start maybe branching out a little bit. Uh, and that's usually when people freak out. It's like they, yeah. they, they found a, a certain level of comfort. And, and so their music becomes, and, and, and with movies too, it's like they're, they become a comfort food to that person. And, uh, the moment they're like, you know what, I want to try something different, uh, you know, sometimes people freak out a little bit. And it's like, how dare you? How dare you yeah. do that? Go back to what you were doing. Do the exact same thing again, but different and still entertain me without boring me. You know what I mean? And so you, you kind of, I think you sometimes sort of, uh, when people personalize some of these things where it becomes a personal thing, where you become attached to a thing or a, or a person's work or a person's art or a person's, uh, you know, a group's music or a filmmaker's you know, whatever, uh, it becomes personal to the point where it becomes sort of less about, and I think maybe this is, this is much deeper even into sort of what's wrong with sort of current culture, even to a certain extent where, uh, <laughs> we can talk about Star Wars. Should we talk about The Last Jedi? Let's do that. Um, no, is that you have these people who like really get, um, they personalize it to the point that they feel like it's theirs as opposed to the person who's making it. Uh, and, yeah. and so to the point that they become pissed off, you know, it's like the, uh, the end of Game of Thrones, you know, people are like, we want to petition the writers to do it over. The last season wasn't good enough. It wasn't what we wanted. This is ours, not yours. Um, and I think it's, it's that connection sometimes where people get a little toxic with it, where it's like, um, they don't necessarily just want the artist to, to take them along. They want at one point, it's like. They get to a point where it's almost like they want to be, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, the perfect analogy is here, but instead of letting this person, you know, drive the car, you want to like tell them how to navigate or how to do things or what to do. Uh, and they get kind of a little nuts about it. And I think it's, it's sort of a weird trend lately of large groups of people complaining about things and thinking they own something they don't. Right. I, um. Yeah, when you say that, I was thinking about how in earlier years, like maybe in the 80s and 90s, a big fear a lot of directors have, and we've talked about it on the show, is that a movie would be so successful that studios would want a sequel, because then it sort of leaves their, you know, them owning it, and it becomes this commercial property, 
And then the studios are like, okay, now we're going to take it another direction. And like in the case of, you know, Back to the Future 2, they told the filmmaker, you know, we're going to make another one without you and without all the actors. So you make another one or we will. Right. He was like, okay. And so it becomes a thing where it's not his anymore. Exactly. And I think that, um, I mean, what greater example do you have of that than George Lucas, right? Right. To where he's like, I don't even like to look at like interviews with him because he's so sad that like. Star Wars is so far away from him now. Right. Um, it's not his anymore at all. It's ours now. And, you know, you, you talked about The Last Jedi. That's actually the last episode I just did. And, you know, I put off doing that episode because I knew it was going to be, you know, I was just worried about the feedback that I was going to get, which thankfully it was mostly positive um, so far. But that is a huge aspect of that movie is just the toxicity of expectation mm-hmm. and what we actually got. And there's it's, it's like almost impossible for some people to separate what their expectations were from if the film is good or not. You know, I was reading right. an, uh, an article that said it was a cinematic failure. And I'm like, has that even happened before when critics have called a movie like A plus and then fans are like, it's a cinematic failure? Really? A cinematic failure? Plus, I mean, that's what? extreme. <laughs> and, and the thing is, <laughs> like, in, in is, is, you know, this is off topic, obviously, for Ed Wood, but, uh, you know... It's a cinematic failure and it made a billion dollars. So what yeah, is what is failure? To, I would love to fail like that just once. <laughs> Me too. You know, it's like, what is your yeah. failure? Cinematic failure. That's a such a r- weird term. Uh, and I do think uh, some of it, too, is, um, you know, and this is 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 uh, there's a lot of groupthink that goes on uh, nowadays um, because of the Internet, because of sort of just the way things are. Um, you do, sure. you do end up with, um, sort of people piling on. Um, uh, and I think a good example of that has, is probably with the, the latest X-Men, you know, Dark Phoenix, right? Um, oh yeah. I yeah. think that it's not, it's not the greatest movie ever made. It's not the greatest X-Men movie ever made, but it is certainly not the worst X-Men movie ever made. And yet people act like it's one of the worst films ever. Uh, I, yeah, I and, had to like mute somebody because they wrote this like really long you know this is ruining my life kind of thing like you don't understand what i've been through how much i love this story arc and so you can never understand my pain and i just muted it i was like i just can't (laughs) i can't go there it's like like well obviously but at the same time it's like well obviously you survived x3 so i think you're gonna be okay (laughs) right i just i and i think sometimes to a certain extent it's like people are just so sick of of having to engage uh, with these this yeah. kind of thing where it's just like, all right, you do whatever you're going to do. I'm just going to shut you up now. I think that's, this is the the story of the last couple of years where people are just so burnt out on arguing about things uh, and, and the sort of like raised level of vitriol that comes out of it where there's, it's impossible now to have kind of a, just a, a I don't know, a, a normal conversation uh, with yeah, differing opinions. without being told like you're an idiot. Without, yeah, without being just told. You must hate filmmaking. Right, exactly. You hate everyone, and you're like, oh, I, uh, oh, wow, I, no, I didn't. Um, oh, clearly you've been reading some of my reviews of my films, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean. I have not, but <laughs> I've read reviews uh, uh, of myself. <laughs> I mean, so. it's it's amazing the things people will write, and it's just. Uh, you know, and, and maybe to a certain extent to get this actually works nicely back as a segue into Ed Wood, uh, you know, is that uh, Ed Wood, like I said, you know, he's he's very much known as like one of the worst filmmakers ever made, quote unquote. Uh, and, you know, he's gotten a lot of bad reviews uh, about his stuff. 
Uh, and I think part of the point of this movie and part of what inspires me so much is like, okay, so maybe he's terrible at it, but so, so what? He did it. He actually set out and he did it. He put himself out there. Made nine movies. And he did it. And, and yeah. this, again, this plays into, you know, my, okay, my films uh, are sort of cheesy 1950s style B movies, right? Uh, some of them are great. Some of them are not as great. <laughs> uh, some of them are, some of them exist. The point is, is that uh, what I, I often find funny, and I know a lot of other you know filmmakers deal with this, um, and this is, again, speaks to Ed Wood as a, the film and the, the, the idea that, so what if he didn't know what he was doing, he just did it, is that sometimes I'll get these reviews uh, of my films where they say, man, this movie looks like it was made by, you know, uh, someone who clearly didn't know what the hell he was doing. I bet you me and my friends could get together and make a better movie on our iPhones. And, okay, so well, try that. Well, and so <laughs> that that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, well, I, I look forward to seeing that movie. And I, I would love, show me up. Let's do it. Do it. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Send me a copy when you're done and I'll, I'll talk about right. how great it is if it is. But that's the point is just like it's it's so easy to be a critic uh, and, and, and so much harder to actually, you know, put yourself out there and create. And that's what's beautiful about, you know, Ed Wood is like maybe it takes a little bit of being delusional to a certain extent. Uh, and Probably, just, especially yeah, back then. And just having a, a, a desire and a, and a drive and a love to do something and then doing it. And that's the thing I think that really inspired me as a, as a filmmaker with this movie that actually kind of helped push me over the edge to finally do it. And then I just haven't stopped, you know, 15 years later. Uh, and it kind of starts with Ed Wood. Um, and that's, that's just the sort of one of the, one of the many reasons I love this movie, aside from also the fact that uh, one of the great things about this movie is that all the characters are weirdos. Yeah. You know, which is a theme in a lot of Tim Burton right. films. They're outsiders. They're, they're, yeah. you know, and even, even the, you know, playing up the, the, uh, you know, the cross, the, the cross-dressing part, right? Which back yeah, then which everyone. Now, you know, looking back at that, it's, we're looking at that under a different lens. I right. Think, exactly. Because you know? back then it was, it was so, you know, taboo and strange uh, and really like, you know, making uh, just strange from the perspective of it, looking at societally. You know, they would look at it yeah. as like you were you were a complete and utter, you know, weirdo freak, you know, who who needed to be, you know, whatever. Uh, and now, obviously, we're we're a much more accepting people, which is, you know, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. Uh, and it's a much better thing. But that's a good example of it is just like you have this guy who at the time was really going against societal you know, expectations and norms to just freaking be himself. And be who he was and who he wanted to be. Uh, and, you know, he surrounded himself with people, you know, a lot of people who just accepted it and accepted him. And that's the that's the beauty of it. And that's why I think it's a, you know, it works, uh, especially from a mm -hmm. modern lens of just like, maybe that's how we should be. <laughs> maybe we should right. just be accepting I, I know and cool. Are... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. That's sorry. That was it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say the, uh, the writer, Scott Alexander and Larry... Karazuski, I hope I said that right. Um, they talked about how they were just coming off the film Problem Child, which did very well, but was nothing like what they had originally written. 
um, they basically wanted it to be a commentary, like a kind of like a satire on all these like obnoxious kid films and the that were coming out around that time. And then studios got a hold of it and turned it into something else, rewrote a bunch of times. And then it was just like completely different from what their vision was. And um, th- that they were actually like teary eyed in the showings and, uh, and up- upset about its success in a way, because it was like, this is not what we created. And so then they moved on to this project. And I think they channeled a lot of that, you know, turmoil into this movie into you know, fighting for, what you believe in and, and what you think the film should be. And I, I agree with you about uh, the cross-dressing aspect of Johnny Depp's character. Um, you know, uh, he he made that movie that they talk about in the film. Do you remember what it's called? The one about the transvestite? Uh, Glenn or Glenda. Glenn or Glenda. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that film, um, you know, people thought, oh, he just made this like really distasteful, pervy, film it's not like how it how they kind of set it up in the movie where he admits that you know i I cross dress and that's why i'm the best person for the part i don't think that conversation really happened but he did really make the movie and he did really insert himself in it and put his girlfriend in it and all that and people thought that he was just being obscene they thought like you know he's just making this gross porno flick right he's pushing the envelope just, yeah, yeah, which is really heartbreaking to think about that he really bared his soul, did, did something extremely brave, especially for the time, only to be treated that way. Right. And yeah, that's a, a big theme, I think, in the movie. There's a lot of characters that are like himself uh, or, you know, LGBT, basically. Right. And they're treated like they're disgusting, you know. And, right. And uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's character, Doris, that she plays really well is, um, you know, the whole film, uh, the the parts that she's in, you get this sense that she doesn't really fit into this cast of weirdos. And she finally tells him that and leaves. And it's like, I think Ed Wood is such an interesting character in the movie, because I think when you look at him, he's this handsome guy that seems like he fits in. I mean, he looks like the kind of guy that would be you know, a, a good looking actor, charismatic. And I think he is. But then as you peel back the layers, you you find out what a weirdo he is. Right. Um, well, and you know, even to the point of like missing his teeth. Right. Which I feel like is sort of this weird metaphor for like even his smile isn't really real. Well, and, and, and even then, one of the things that's that's great about that is, you know, he lost his teeth in the in World War Two. So, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, he does sort of he is sort of a stand in for like, He's, you know, all, the all-American guy. He served in World War II. He's been in the Army. You know, he he lost his teeth, you know. Uh, I mean, it's like there's these parts of him where he's just kind of the all-American guy. And the thing is, is is I think there's an undercurrent there where it's like, uh, but he's also a cross-dresser. So, you know, it's as nor- one thing is as normal as the other. Uh, and he's fighting against that. You know what I mean? It's like it's everything. All the things that he is are, are, are okay. He's a, he's a, yeah. he's a decent guy. And, and. And he's a good person, regardless of what a society may say about the fact that he just likes Angora. You know, I mean, it's just like uh, it. It's 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 a. I don't know how to put it into a, in a way that that sort of uh, really. It's just I think it's 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 again that sort of the 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 outcasts um, that it's like you know what they may be outcasts, but together they find sort of their own little family and. You know, I think that's demonstrated really well uh, in the scene where they're all being baptized because he needs money. Yes. And 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 
they go to that church and they're getting money from it. Um, and they all, they all agree to be baptized. And I think Bill, you know, they're on the edge of the pool and Bill Murray's character, you know, is playing Bunny Breckenridge who himself was, you know, uh, like a, uh, drag queen, uh, in real yeah, life. Yeah, he, he wanted to have a sex change and he, throughout the movie, he keeps coming up with like, well, I had to have one or I'm about to have to have one for a medical reason. Right. But, you know, really he's just... He he just wants to transition right. something that we can at least process and understand now. Right. But back then, it's like they can't even wrap their minds around. It's just some guy who's weird and doesn't get that right. he's a man. But now it's like it's weird to look at to watch this movie now and be like, wow, this is deeply compassionate right. <laughs> for when it came out. I mean, even though that wasn't that long ago. But I think there's a theme right of of creatives. I think you know people in the theater or or people in film artists ha- have always sort of welcomed each other and been more accepting of each other right and they always seem like a, a bunch of weirdos to everyone else well and like, isn't that a thing anyway you it, know? it very much is and i think that's that's one of those things that uh you know when people do say have an improv troupe or they're part of a, a of a community theater or in my instance part of my little movie universe is there is kind of a family aspect to it uh where you you're working with a lot of the same people and you're working toward the same goal uh, and that goal is not necessarily you know, million dollar fortune and fame. You just want to create something together. You want to, you want to, you know, get together, have a good time, you know, and, and create something together and that's it. And then we, you know, you like in the instance of, in my case, I'll go somewhere and I'll show it and people enjoy it and they come and they hang out and we make it, you know, we're, we're, I, I mean, even with the, the sort of the fans of my films, it becomes this weird tight knit little community that I try to foster. Cause I, I, I really like that. And I think that's, Again, with Ed Wood, and this is to, to go back to what I was saying about the, the, the pool scene, is that, you know, uh, 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 Bill Murray's character comes up to to Ed Wood in the pool and he says something along the lines of, like, I don't know how it is you keep getting people to do these things, you know, where it's like, <laughs> I don't know how how you keep talking people into things, but it's, you know, it's it's kind of like it's not a bad thing. It's it's like, you know, yeah. uh, he's he's sort of the, the, the glue, he's the driving force in this and that. Maybe sometimes you need that. You need the driving force just to to get people to get out of their house and go do stuff and, and be a part of something. And, you know, I'm always talking about this just for my own stuff. Uh, it's just like I want people to come to the theater or come to an event or come to, you know, something and just hang out and talk and, and you know, connect. Because I think that's the beauty of, of any of this film, art, music, whatever, is that the ability it has to connect people uh, that maybe don't have anything in common. Maybe they're very different people. Maybe they're all dealing with different things, uh, but something brings them together. And I think in Ed Wood, there's a perfect example of all these disparate people. I mean, you have like the Swedish wrestler, you know, um, per- played perfectly <laughs> by George the Animal Steel. Who knew the man could act so well? Uh, you know, you have this weird Swedish, this big Swedish wrestler guy, you got the, uh, you know, this aging, you know, drug addict movie star. You got this, you know, it's just like you got all these disparate personalities who are all brought together by this guy who just wants to make cheesy, you know, movies because he believes them to be, you know, that we got to do this to be great. This is, you know, we'll be remembered for this. And they are. And and I think before this, they were probably remembered more for it, for being, uh, that movie's terrible, to being endearing, where it's like, hey, there's there's more to it than just this terrible movie that's really... You know, Plan 9 is really not that great, you know, and so it's, uh, but it's, 
I don't know. I think I think that's one of the beauties of, of this story and why I think it resonates with so many people and why it, the film, which again, we said was basically a financial flop, uh, has gone on to become something greater than than it even was when it was released. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer to that question, you know, how does he get people to do the, the things that he gets them to do is answered a few times in the film when, you know, the, I think there's a moment where Johnny Depp's explaining to someone he's trying to get to back his film that he's going to get, uh, you know, Bella Lugosi in there and and and. He, and all these other promises. And he said, how are you going to get him to do that? And he goes, well, because he's my friend. Yeah. And he says that a lot. He, he makes a lot of promises throughout the movie to other people saying, well, this person's my friend, so they're going to come through. And it sounds so ridiculous. It sounds so delusional. And yet, isn't that true? Isn't that why all these people stick with him? It's, it's him that they that they love. Right. Um, his vision, they don't ever really get. I don't think anybody he works with <laughs> understands what his movies are about or why he's doing them, but they love him. He's their friend. He accepts them and they accept him. And so that connectivity is what is driving everything. Right. Um, you know, he, he's definitely the catalyst in the sense of he's willing to go out there and continuously face rejection over and over and over until he gets what he wants. Um, and I think a lot of the other characters are at a point in their life where they're just tired of being rejected. Um, but at the same time, it, it's his his loyalty and his kindness. I mean, that's that's what's getting them to do these movies with him. Right. I mean, that's getting them to basically work for free, you know, yep. and um I think that that's, that's really powerful because I think, you know, there's that idea in this film about Hollywood just being so fake and so phony and everyone's trying to take advantage of you and all this stuff. And then you've got this one guy who's genuine um, and, and yeah, he doesn't have the best of anything. He has to make a lot of, you know, different sacrifices and different, um, you know, compromising his vision to get there. But, but he does and he does it in a kind way and not in by stepping on anybody ever. Right. So I, I, I really like that about, about the message of the film and about his character. Right. And I think that I really just think that every, every, like I said, every, every person, every actor in the film uh, does an amazing job. I can't think of a single bad performance in the whole thing. Uh, and I do really think that this is one of those ones where I sometimes feel like Johnny Depp sometimes can, uh, for as much as he'd like to get lost in a character, he's still Johnny Depp. Um, he just wears different hats. Yeah, yeah. It's it... He wears different crazy hats now. Yeah, it's weird. Like, going back and watching this movie, I was I watched it the other night, and I looked at Nick, and I was like, he, he is so insanely talented in this film. I mean, it feels that that choice even with with the teeth where um you don't find out he's lost those teeth until a little later in the film but it explains why he sounds kind of off yeah and then he's able to keep up with that the whole movie without it sounding dumb i don't know it, it feels like it's a bold choice but it it really worked for his character and I don't know. He feels very honest and raw in the movie. Like he really connected with who Ed Wood was. Yeah. I feel like I'm watching him. And I feel like, I feel like in a way like that too, I don't feel like in a lot of his other. Yeah. Films, and I feel yeah. like, I feel like in this one, there's to a certain extent, he, Johnny Depp does get lost. You know, he really does sort of become Ed Wood. Uh, I don't know how honestly, how close to a portrayal of the actual guy, but, uh, cause I haven't seen many interviews or anything with the real Ed Wood, but, um, 
I, I feel like this is one of those few Johnny Depp movies where, I, yeah, it's still Johnny Depp and he still looks like himself. But at the same time, I feel like he's just not Johnny Depp. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, he is. And, and he probably, again, like you said, like you said, I think he probably connected with the character in a way where he was just like, you know, he put himself into it. And I think at the time, too, in Johnny Depp's career, uh, I mean, he was kind of coming off like 21 Jump Street and probably fighting with the idea of people trying to take him seriously a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this was probably one of the first movies I would imagine, uh, where he kind of, it's, it's almost a mainstream film to a certain extent because it's an Oscar winning film. But at the same time, it's like, I think you finally see that Johnny Depp is more than that guy who was on Johnny 21 Jump Street, which I know he was trying really hard to get away from because he kind of hated it, uh, and just didn't want to be that guy. Right. Uh, he didn't want to well, be the teen heartthrob and all that. Uh, and I think in this movie in particular, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it pushed him a little more uh, into being definitely. sort of a, a bigger name talent. Obviously, it wasn't until, what, Pirates of the Caribbean that people actually, like, the, the studio started seeing him as a big, big star. But I think this proved that, yes, this guy's got chops and he's 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 kind of a weirdo. I mean, Johnny Depp is kind of a weirdo. Uh, and I think that's probably why he connected so much with it. At least that's my theory. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget that it can work both ways when we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, so to speak. I mean, I think, you know, if you see how he looks, you're like, oh, he's um, a handsome guy and he's going to be in, you know, probably movies where he's on a beach and uh, he's not wearing a shirt. And, uh, you know, and it's like he's limited to that. And it's like uh, the outside doesn't always reflect the inside. Um, and that works both ways. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think he related to Ed Wood because he, if you see a picture of Ed Wood, it's kind of the same thing where he looks pretty, you know, handsome and normal and like your typical 1950s guy. And it's like inside he was something different. And I think Johnny Depp connected with that because that, that is how he is. Well, I think it too, it's like, uh, sort of with Johnny Depp in particular, it's like, uh, you know, your past doesn't necessarily dictate uh, just because maybe you did something more mainstream or you did something like, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not a talented actor. Uh, it doesn't necessarily right. mean that you don't have a lot more range than people think you are. And I think particularly in Hollywood, you know, actors get stuck in that where it's just like they're just the pretty boy forever. Right. Uh, and no one ever expects right. them to do anything beyond that, uh, which, you know, makes me think of this, you know, recent casting announcement of Robert Pattinson for the Batman. Right. Uh, where people are like, but he was oh, in yeah. Twilight. It's like, so what? Have you seen his other stuff? He's actually a very good actor. Uh, and he'll probably do a fine job. Uh, and it's, I think that also speaks then to the the idea, like we were talking about just a little while ago, about, you know, maybe let the filmmaker take you along on a ride. Maybe you'll be surprised. Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, these people see, I think, a lot of this talent differently than we might because we they see them as actors and not just as whatever role that they've last been in. I mean, I agree, people get pigeonholed. But I bet, like, casting directors have seen his other, you know, uh, darker uh, indie films, and they've seen that he has range, and that's what they're seeing. They're not just seeing, you know, a big, giant franchise that a bunch of people like. They're seeing everything that he does, and yeah, I agree, Pattinson's a, he's kind of a weird, dark, brooding dude, and that's a pretty good casting choice for Batman. And hey, just just because he was in, I mean, people want to act like, uh, you know, Batman is somehow... Uh, like, I don't know, it's like has more, you know, street cred than Twilight does. And I guess it does, but to a certain extent, it's still, 
a long, long, long running comic book franchise that has had a lot of missteps uh, and, you know, ridiculousness over the years. Uh, you know, Batman and Robin. Uh, hello. Uh, so, I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, is this is this really going to be the end all be all of things? I mean, it's been there have been darker times <laughs> in the Batman yeah. franchise over the you know last 80 years or whatever. So I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, eh, you know, let's let's see what happens. It might be it might be Heath, you know, Heath Ledger again. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, let's, I would have been more upset if they had picked a safe choice. And I think that's how I feel about a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But um, kind of going back to this movie a little bit, but talking about characters, I wanted to dive back in a little bit into uh, Martin Landau and his portrayal of Bela Lugosi because um, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier there's a cast of weirdos in this film and, and Bella is this, you know, aging uh, star that struggles with addiction. And I think that um, because Ed Wood, you know, worships Bela Lugosi as an actor so much, he really humanizes him and his addiction because I think, I don't know, I feel like maybe people now watching this movie might not have the, there's, there's a stigma about addiction, certainly, but I think in the 50s, I think it was much, much, much worse. Oh, and yeah. not acknowledged. It's just like, you're a disgusting, junky degenerate and get out of here. Um, and I really love uh, the way that Martin Landau is portrayed in the film because I think it's so humanizing and, you know, Johnny Depp's character is able to see him as a person and as somebody that everyone loved before in the way that they're willing to just throw him away mm -hmm. over an addiction, over something that he doesn't really have control over. And I think that that's just so heartbreaking and something that bothers me even today when we do that to people. So I just I really like that they address that in this film. Well, and, and you see that so much uh, where. I don't know. It's just, I think it's in a lot of things, especially in creative pursuits in particular, where you have people where it's like, you know, someone may be the biggest star today, but in 10 years, who the hell are they? You know, it's like they just disappear. Um, and some come back as these quirky weirdos like Nicolas Cage, uh, or <laughs> they just kind of disappear from the public eye. And then you see them as a, you know, as a dead body on CSI or whatever. Um, where it's just, it's really interesting to watch sort of the, the, the ups and downs of it. And, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, to see the, to pay attention, I think, to the, um, arc of people's careers, particularly in film and TV of, of, you know, the superstardom moment where they're just like everywhere. And then in a very short period of time, suddenly they're nowhere. Uh, and so, I think that's something that I think a lot of people could maybe even, I don't know, identify with to a certain extent. Uh, the idea that this guy's feeling forgotten, right? Uh, and he's a little yeah. bitter about it. And I think outside of the public eye, I think that it's it's like, say, even like aging. You know, it's like getting older and, and your kids move off and suddenly you're, you know, maybe you're alone now because your spouse is gone. And, and to a certain extent, you feel forgotten uh, what I'm really trying to, try to say, listeners, is go call your mom and see how she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, I hate it when I hear people say about actors like, oh, man, they got so old. Um, everybody yeah, gets old. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> no one has control over that. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it's weird the way I feel like our society will sort of use people up, right? I, I've always kind of felt that 
really famous people, stars, like who could possibly be prepared mentally for how insane that has to be um, in the world that they end up being kind of thrust into and the amount of attention and the amount of money and all that stuff. And then, and then it goes away. And how do you process that? I feel like the whole concept of that is like relatively new. I think just as long as film has been around almost. And I don't know. I just, I think it's really sad. It's almost like in a way we're chewing up that person and spitting them out. I don't know if that's too dark. No, I think, I think it's true. And I think that that uh, fame and attention can be an addiction in and of themselves, you know, where it's just like, um, and you see it, I think, especially when you have, um, uh, you know, not, let's say not quite a list talent who maybe had their moment in a very popular TV show, say 20 years ago, uh, that are still sort of seeking that fame by going on these like sort of embarrassing reality shows and stuff like that, simply to stay (laughs) within the public eye because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I get it to a weird sort of extent where it's like now that, uh, uh, after 15 years of making these movies, I'm at this point now where I'm kind of doing it right all the time. And it's kind of my thing. And so now I, I look back, I look at the, th- the thought of having to like go back to sort of corporate world where I came from and being like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't ever want to <laughs> go back to that. So you kind of have to keep going and you have to sort of, find ways to, to stay relevant and stay out there and stay. And, and, and I weirdly understand it to a, in, on a very small scale, the sort of like, uh, the attention that it brings and the, and, and, you know, the, the, I don't know, I don't I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like that even, even a little bit of fame, I think for some people, depending on your personality, it's like, it can become addicting where you just want people to keep caring and keep, you know, showering you with attention and, 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 and say liking your stuff. Right. Uh, yeah. Or that, that level of validation, because I think in some ways it doesn't make any sense. Like, I think it's hard to predict who's going to become famous or why, or for how long. I don't think there's a rhyme and reason. There really isn't. And so I think that that's why it's so devastating when it goes away and you're like, oh, what the heck happened? You know, and it's like nobody even knows what happened. For some reason you were famous and now you're not like there's not really like a guarantee. It's not like other, you know, uh, fields of work in that way. You know, like I keep saying, it's like nobody looks at your resume and goes, well, you were real successful back then, but, you know, you're not now. So I won't hire you. You know, (laughs) it's like it's just not the same. So I, I think it's. Yeah, it, his character is very interesting, and I think everyone can relate to wanting to be validated, right. you know? And I think it's a weird, uh, you know, film uh, and, you know, to a lesser extent, but but film more, uh, music, but to a uh, film more than anything else, is one of those weird mediums where uh, it's like everybody is invited to have uh, a very vocal and very loud opinion about how terrible you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, where I it's mean, like you can literally just like you can rip apart any movie and it's just sort of weirdly socially acceptable It'll be like this movie was terrible and this actor is awful and I think this person is kind of ugly and it's just like it's it's not frowned upon uh, societally where someone would be like that's really not very nice they tried really hard they did a good job maybe it's not the, the end result isn't great we don't do that we just like we're we're just jump on there and be like this movie is awful and I hate it um and I can't think of too many other uh, careers out there 
that so openly invite constant criticism. <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 and this, this, this is where it gets personal to me, right? Just because I just I I get bad reviews, uh, and and so I I definitely I definitely associate myself uh, with with Ed Wood and and empathize with him very much so. Uh, because I've gotten many uh, bad reviews over the years, uh, and you know, there you you have to just try to like step back and be like, okay, well, they that's their opinion, and they, yeah, they're kind of mean about it, but okay, yeah. Uh, but there's also a part of me is just like, I really wish uh, there was a place for me to go on and talk about how terrible they are at their job. You know what I mean? And just put it. Thinking of that movie show. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I'd love to be like, you know, okay, so this guy works at Target and I'd love to talk about how everything he does at Target is wrong. You know what I mean? It's just like. His haircut's awful. His yeah. His uh, name tag's always right, crooked. Right. Um, he, he needs to maybe know, he, bathe a little more and, often, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> just because there's no other thing out there like it uh, that I suppose outside of maybe like, yeah, restaurant reviews and stuff like that. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing. Cause there's no other place for you to just go out and talk about how that guy at the convenience store is really inattentive and kind of a jerk and clearly needs, you know, needs to get off his phone. Uh, and I guess there's, it's kind of like that, but it's just so much more personalized with film. Yeah. It's well, art is more personal. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not going to. Uh, even if you leave a mean review about Target, he's going to be like, well, I don't care. I just, you know, it's not like he's passionate. Yeah, about I work at Target. Checking, you know? Which, hey, if you're, pa- <laughs> he's like, if oh, any well, listener whatever. out there is passionate about working at Target, good for you. We need more people like you. You go, man. Do you. Yeah. You do you. I mean, thank God for you, seriously. Yeah, because no one wants that crabby <laughs> but, uh, guy who works at Target. Come on. <laughs> well, I think this is where, you know, Tim Burton, again, relates to this a lot because uh, when I was watching, I watched a, uh, like a master class, a little bit of that earlier today. And um, he, in this master class, there were a bunch of film students and they were going to show like small animated films and then he was going to comment on them. And he said at the top of it, well, I'll comment on them, but I'm not going to critique them. He's like, I hate critics. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to sit here and tear apart anybody's work. It's just, I'm just not going to. And it's funny how no matter what interview you watch with him, he brings that up a lot. That he can't even tell, you know, what movies of his are quote unquote good or bad yeah. because the reactions to them have been so wildly extreme oh, yeah. that he has trouble gauging them. Like, for instance, Beetlejuice and uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure had pretty terrible reviews they were listed as like the top 10 worst movies the year they came out and yet now all this time later people are like that was your best work including myself i've said that. right right <laughs> so it's like you know how weird you know it, for for us it, it seems so clear like oh your earlier work that was really good but for him as a director he's like obviously every movie i've made i really cared about and i put a lot of work into and then the reactions have been so extreme I don't even know how to interpret them. Right. Like he said the same thing with Batman, you know, he, he puts it out there and people are like, that's too dark. And then other people are like, that's too light. And he said in an interview, like, how can that, how can both things be true? Right. How is that possible? And like, I think a lot of his movies are like that where I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, he said that when that came out, you know, everyone was like, this is dark, depressing, it's going to scare children. And then it did terrible at the box office. And now it's like, I'm kind of tired of Nightmare Before Christmas because Halloween, like, has become an 
assault of nothing but merch from that movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, how weird is that? That like, uh, you know, people told him to his face that movie's awful. And now here we are where people are just like obsessed with that film. And there's so much uh, stuff still selling for it, including the film itself. Right. It's like, how, how can he possibly... Like, it's weird, it's unpredictable, and it doesn't make sense to him. And I think in the same, and, you know, he's he says he has really extreme outspoken critics on every movie he's ever made telling him wildly different things. It's like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's And that's why he's kind of come to the conclusion of, like, I don't even want to critique this stuff anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, it, it's art. I made art, and it's valid, and the end and so like whenever he was giving feedback to filmmakers he was telling them stuff like i really love um as you guys know i really love stop animation so i really love that you picked that for your film i think it's very emotional and personal and i think that comes from you know he was like saying from him loving harry hausen and and in his movies and that's why he wanted to do that and so he's sort of only picking the positives mm-hmm. and I feel like we're in a place in our society where we feel like we have to have that dark critique for everything. Yeah. And it's like, and that's how we grow. You know, we can't grow unless somebody's ripping us apart. And it's like, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> you know? And it's like, I, I think for a long time, and, and probably again, why this relates, why I relate to it so much is even though I'm not a filmmaker, I do feel that way about film in general. It's like, maybe we don't have to do that all the time. Well, and that's one of the beautiful things about this <laughs> podcast is that, uh, I mean, I, I, I can't really think of any uh, other one out there like it that is just so like, hey, let's just talk about why we love these movies as opposed to ripping them apart and deconstructing them and talking about what's wrong with them. And, you know, it's just like, no, why do you love it? You know, uh, and and I think this, uh, this podcast is a good example because you have so many different examples and different people who join you and talk about these films uh, is that each movie is, you know, your experience with a movie in particular is personal. Uh, and so, you know, uh, what someone else may love, uh, and we did a, an episode of this just not too long ago uh, about Flash Gordon, uh, where <laughs> yeah. I personally love that movie. And uh, some other panelists on that that particular one didn't love it so much. Uh, and so, yeah. again, it's a it's a personal experience and a personal opinion toward how something makes you feel or why you love something. Um, and and that's that's kind of maybe in the end, perhaps that's that's uh, what it's all about. Love is all you need. But again, yeah, I think it's uh, I, yeah, and and. I think one of the things, too, and this actually, again, works back to the film Ed Wood, uh, and I think to a certain extent, um, a lot of even Tim Burton stuff, is that um, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, you, you a filmmaker will release a movie that, you know, is maybe misunderstood when it came out, uh, or it just simply came out at the wrong time and no one really paid attention to it. Uh, and then... Over yeah. time, it becomes something, and it becomes greater than it was ever sort of intended to be. I think Ed Wood uh, is a perfect example of that. Like, like you know, it, it barely made it. I mean, it flopped, basically, when it was released, uh, and now it's this cult classic. And I think Ed Wood and his work, again, because of this movie, but then also just uh, what has become since the release of this, you know, 25 years since this came out, um, is that... He, he, his work has lived on 
uh, and become so much greater than it ever sort of seemed like it would ever become. And I think that's that's the beauty yeah. of of a lot of these things where, like, you take a movie like The Big Lebowski, which I remember seeing it when it came out in the theater with some friends of mine and being like, okay, that was pretty good. But now it's become a cult hit. It's become a big thing uh, and probably outside of Fargo, the thing that the Coen brothers are known most for at this point. Uh, I did an episode. Yeah, and so it's it's really interesting that I remember seeing it and it was kind of like, okay, well, that was that was interesting, but eh, I mean, it was like, it was okay. It was good enough to see, but nothing came out of it. And then over the years, it has just grown into a, a you know, a thing, a phenomenon to a certain extent. There's there's a, a bowling alley here that uh, it's called the Bowl Lounge, and they have a menu that echoes uh, a bunch of stuff from the film, and then paintings on the wall of all the characters. Yeah, see, I mean, it's just it's amazing so. that that something that I don't know. Sometimes things are released, and it's just it's just people don't get it until it becomes a thing, and and it becomes uh, you know it seeps into the mainstream slowly, and people start. You know, it's the the growth of a cult is that it starts small and someone's like sees something in it and has to introduce it to a friend and says, no, you're missing the point. What about this? Look at it this way. And then they see it, too. And then you start spreading from there. Uh, it's it's so rare you, you get something like Star Wars, which comes out of the gate like a huge phenomenon. Right. Uh, that's incredibly mm-hmm. rare. Born out of a love for right. movies. And maybe the truth is yeah. when it all said and done. That those things that are believed to be the greatest things ever tend to be, uh, you know, the things that are eventually forgotten. And the things that really live on yeah. are the B-movies and the love of, of the cheese. People want the cheese. That's what it is. They do. That's they what do. lives on. That's what lives Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing you can walk away with, it's that people, people love, love cheese. cheese. <laughs> Um, are, are there any like specific scenes in the movie that you want to talk about? I know there's a couple that I'm thinking of. Well, I, I brought up the thing earlier with the, the baptism. Um, yeah, I love that you brought that up. I, did you think about Disney a little bit in that scene? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, and I thought about, because I was watching some interviews with Tim Burton, like he's joked that he was hired and fired by Disney three or four times. Um, some of you out there that may not know a, uh, a lot about his earlier career but like that's how he started basically you know in animation right. and uh in that i think he was working for disney around the time they made like fox and the hound and like some kind of mediocre i mean i like fox and the hound but it's Black not cauldron and you know <laughs> the right it's not snow white it's not groundbreaking right. stuff i think they like disney got to a point where they were like we need to stick with like a formula that makes sense that's gonna guarantee success and that that kind of hurt their creativity for a while and so he was really frustrated with that and he left after a couple years but then he's over the years i mean he just made dumbo so but yeah it's like i feel like that scene with ed Ed, in ed wood with the baptism scene it's is a not so subtle metaphor for everything you have to agree to when you make a movie well and i think uh (laughs) the uh there's there's a couple scenes of just sort of like the uh I'm I'm kind of a sucker for for any movie that shows the creative process as it happens. Um, I, I like uh, I used to you know play in a lot of bands and I like uh, like movies that show sort of the the genesis of like ba- like bands writing music or whatever or coming up with things like you know like Bohemian Rhapsody or or the Rocket Man you know just you see these moments of 
sort of creative inspiration as things come together. Uh, and there's a lot of scenes in yeah. Ed Wood of him, you know, like coming up with ideas and like running them by people and, and you know, writing the script and, and just even little things with the where he's looking at all this, the, you know, he sees the stock footage and he's like, I could make a whole movie out of this. And he, do, he, do, he does. I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's little stuff like yeah. that where it's sort of showing the creative process of, of, of sort of the joy and the pain of it all. But then also, too, the yeah. way uh, the scenes where he's directing uh, are always hilarious to me. Um, cut, yeah, cut. Got it. <laughs> print it. Moving on. It's like we only got one take. Good enough. Uh, you know, it's just like, uh, okay. Or like, yeah, he comes, you know, and he's just ignoring things that other more meticulous filmmakers might be like, I think we need to do that again. Tore ran into the door and moved the set. Yeah, who cares? Good enough. Uh, or like how he struggled with that door. Um, and then he says, uh, Edward says, well, I'm sure that would happen to that character a lot, which I think is funny on two levels. Number one, I think that's yes. true. <laughs> Like, so, but, but, and, and it's funny how sometimes something can be true and realistic and not look good right. in a movie. And then number two, n- him not picking up on the, uh, the humor of how ridiculous that's going to look when it's supposed to be a dramatic moment. He can't get the door open. You know, that's not going to play in real life. That's, that would happen. But in, in, in a movie, it's going to seem right. ridiculous and he can't pick up on that. And there's so many things he can't pick up on. But then I think there's a, an undercurrent of that I didn't understand when I watched this movie when I was younger of him saying cut, we got it is um, a time and money for him. Oh yeah. And it's like, there's all these snobby people around him that are like, uh, that wasn't right. Or it's like, yeah, none of this is right. I can't make the movie I want to make. I don't have the money to. And I think that's something that I didn't really pick up on uh, the first few times that I watched it, but it's obvious now. And, uh, really fast tangent. I'll try to make it really fast. But, you know, recently Steven Spielberg complained about, you know, Netflix and how this is going to ruin the Oscars if they allow Netflix movies. And I think I understand that because the school that he came from was, you know, you show everything in the theater and it's important. And I, I even agree with him to yes. a certain extent. But then another part of me is like, that's very exclusive only certain right. people could make movies and put them into theaters. And when you do that, you eliminate tons of other would-be filmmakers that if they just had the budget could do it. So I thought it was kind of funny that in this movie, I feel like Tim Burton's commenting on that. And I think it's I think it's intentional because he's even said that. Like somebody asked him in an interview, like, well, after you did Beetlejuice and after you did, um, you know, Batman, now you can make whatever you want. And he's like, not really. <laughs> like every time I've tried to make a movie that I really want to make, it's been really hard. I thought that that was true. I thought what you said was true. Once I'm famous and once I have a commercial hit, I can make whatever I want. But it has not worked right. out that way. Every movie I've wanted to make, you know, has been a real fight. And so I feel like in this part, he's sort of commenting on that in a way of like, it's funny. You know, he's not, Edward's not able to get the take that he wants. And it seems like he's just being haphazard and in a way he is, but also like he can't make the movie he wants. I mean, I feel like the whole movie, you see him struggling with a vision that he almost can never realize. Well, and what's <laughs> funny to to sort of say my, my two cents about the Spielberg thing is like, I greatly respect Steven Spielberg and I love Steven Spielberg's movies. Oh um, yeah. I've covered him a yeah, ton yeah, of times is, on the show. What's kind him. of, kind of interesting about um, the sort of state of, of film right now uh, is that you have uh, the, the stuff that gets the wide release now is the, 
it's just all sequels and existing properties because they're spending so much damn money. It's like you, if it's not a sure thing, you can't spend that money, right? Uh, because uh, you could potentially be wasting a lot of people's time and money. Uh, no one wants to do that anymore, Right. I was going to say right? the audience is in the same right. position. So I it, mean, sometimes when Nick and I go to a movie, it costs like yeah, $40. Exactly. And I'm like, yikes. Yeah. So it's know? like. <laughs> Maybe I'll just wait till it is So you Netflix. see the big stuff uh, out there is, you know, it's like the, the Marvel movies and the, the tentpole films and the franchise stuff and the part twos and threes and all this stuff that they're making because they know they can get a return on their investment, or at least it's a pretty safe bet by comparison. The beauty of the sort of. Um, Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime sort of movie studios now is that they're spending money on stuff that Hollywood used to spend money on and take risks on. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you start seeing things that that uh, Hollywood, big studios, would never spend money on anymore because it's not a sure thing. Uh, and now there's a distribution method for it that makes it financially financially feasible for some pla a place like Netflix to like put... I don't know, a couple million dollars into maybe a slightly off, slightly offbeat science fiction film that, you know, Hollywood would never invest in because there's no guarantee they're ever going to make their money back. But Netflix right. can be like, and, well, we can yeah. do this. And then if maybe it doesn't focus well enough to go full, we'll at least put it on ours. And now it's a Netflix original and, and you know, people will watch it and we'll get a return on our investment. Uh, and so... There's a beauty in that where it's like it's 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 made it easier for some of because there's always that complaint where it's like, oh, Hollywood does is the same old, same old, same old. And it's true. And it's only because it's mostly for financial reasons. It's like you're spending two hundred million dollars on something. You sure as hell better make that back. That's a lot of money. Um, yeah. And, and it's preventing people from breaking right. in too. you know, it's. And and that's that's something that, you know, I, I talk a lot about on this show and on Twitter. It's like as someone who's qualifies as being in a marginalized group, I mean, that's what you hear all the time, right? Like, well, we can't make this movie about right. that person or with that director because, you know, that people don't want to see that. And it's like, well, that prevents a lot of creativity from right. happening and so it's really cool that there's all these outlets because now you don't have to be like a millionaire right. <laughs> to, to I, make i'm a the perfect example so, of that i'm certainly not a millionaire and i've right, never even yeah. spent more than 10 grand on a movie so i mean and i've made four, 14 of them. i'm working on 15 so i mean obviously there's that's the beauty of sort of the current situation is that you can do what you want to do uh and and you don't have to you don't have to like, uh, you know, someone, no one has the right to tell you not to now. It's like, you can tell me not to, but yeah, you don't have don't to go know, to like a you. scary meeting where everyone tells you. Yeah, awful it's or like, something. exactly. And, and then you don't necessarily have to compromise. I mean, clearly I haven't since I've made 15 B movies that look like they were made in the fifties. Uh, I'm not listening to the, I'm not certainly not following along in the, you know, the current zeitgeist. Um, I'm doing what I want to do because I have a good time doing it and this is what I want to do. And that's the beauty yeah. of, of sort of digital technology. The only issue I'm coming up against is, and this is the negative of the Netflix model, is that they've just become yeah. their own kind of gatekeeper. You know, where it's like with sure. with physical yeah. with physical media being on the out, uh, you know, on the outs uh, or out or however you want to say it, uh, you know, being sort of falling by the wayside here and everything going streaming. Um, we're right back to gatekeepers again. I mean, you only have so many 
choices out there that people actually have access to. Uh, whereas when it was physical media, you Very could reach true. a lot more people simply by being like, you want a DVD? I'll send you one. Uh, just order one and I'll send it to you, which you can still do. But people now are like, eh, just stream everything. And it's like, well, okay, that's great and convenient. <laughs> and I get it. I really do. But it's really hard to get your work on streaming, you know, streaming platforms that actually makes it worth yeah, a good point. putting on there because you probably won't make any money. And so it's like this weird balance at all times of like gatekeepers or democratization of film or dictatorship. You know, it's like a back and forth when it comes to <laughs> comes to uh, it's it, it is and it, it's it's maddening and frustrating. So it's you just got to keep plugging away. Yeah. Well, what's another uh, scene that you want to discuss? Uh, well, I think I brought up a lot of the ones that I sort of, uh, you know, with the uh I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like, there's, there's no, in my, in my head, there's, there's no really bad moments in this entire film. I think it's just, uh, everything about it. I just, I absolutely love it. Uh, I really do. And it's just, it looks so good. And, and uh, everyone, like I said, everyone's perfect in it. Um, and I do, I do think, I don't know if there's any like specific scenes that come to mind so much as just like, you know, moments with each character of, of the portrayal of them, like, like, oh, uh, yeah. Vampira, you know, just how, so just kind of like, she's like, whatever, I don't care about this. I just, you know, <laughs> you know, she's kind of bitter <laughs> and just like, like the whole, I, I, you know, I'll be in the movie. I just don't, I don't want any lines, you know, just whatever. Yeah. I feel like her and, 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 uh, Bella Lugosi, they, they both can relate to like having their moment and it being gone and just having a really bitter view of that whole right. thing. And then here comes Johnny Depp's character uh, to sort of, you know, win them over. I feel like the whole movie, he's convincing his little cast of misfits that, that they matter and that they're important and that, you know, that they're a big deal to him. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think her character is really fun. Well, and I guess uh, now that I am thinking of specific scenes, I suppose one of us has to mention the, the octopus in the pond scene. I mean, that, that whole thing <laughs> yeah. where, where too, it's, uh, I mean, as a filmmaker, uh, I quote this all the time when we're shooting, uh, you know, where, you know, Bela Lugosi's not feeling so great, but then he gets, you know, he gets a little bump and suddenly he's like, let's shoot this effer. Uh, uh, and then, you know, he's in the water and he's making it. It doesn't, they forgot the motor on the octopus. So they gotta, he's gotta make it work. And it's just, <laughs> Genius. It is by far the the most perfect example of what it is I do as a filmmaker right there in that scene where it's like, let's just do this. I just make it work. We'll make it work. It'll it'll be great. You'll see. <laughs> yeah. And I love the follow up where like none of them have had sleep the next day and they're just continuing yeah. to work. And he's just like, yep, we're going to keep working. And that actor's like, I'm really tired. I didn't sleep. And he's like, me neither, but I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's just no, so that, that whole thing with that octopus is just, I mean, it's 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 awesome too. Just the, how well, like, he throws himself into it too of just like, you have to make it attack you. Okay. And he just does it. And, and. <laughs> It looks like well, and, awful. And, and the look on Edward fa Edward's face, like, yes, this is it. This is amazing. And everyone else is like, exactly, uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say, I want to talk about the uh, the Orson Welles scene because you know, like, the whole movie, 
um, Johnny Depp's character is is talking about how he's he's basically just like Orson Welles and um, you know this is what he's gonna do he's a director he's a producer he's an actor but um, there, there's some points in the movie where they strategically put you know like Orson Welles posters in his home or you know around him and like there's a part where they have Citizen Kane which I think again like at the time when I first saw this I don't think I'd seen Citizen Kane yet I mean I was too young and so there's just sort of this joke in that moment right of him comparing himself to somebody who made Citizen Kane a movie that's considered the greatest movie of like all time and that he's such a genius and I think there's a part of me that forgot that later he's going to run into Orson Welles and he runs into him at that perfect moment where, um, you know, he's he's been working with the with the uh, religious group that's funding the picture, and he gets so frustrated he puts he he gets into uh, his uh, like women's clothes, and they're very offended by that, and they're telling him like to take it off, and he can't direct like that, and they're telling him what to do, and then he just has like a nervous breakdown and is like I can't do this anymore, and he like jumps in a car and drives off, which that scene alone is funny to me, like they're telling him all this stuff and he just gets in a car and leaves i I like that i think we've all had that moment where we wish we could just jump in a car and drive off um but he goes to the bar he orders a drink and orson wells is there um and he walks over to him and he you know he like takes his wig off but he doesn't he doesn't make any effort to be like i need to change how i look in front of orson wells like at all first of all uh so he goes up to him and he just starts talking to him and Orson Welles like is like yeah you know sit over here and and he tells him like I'm just like you and I'm having all the same problems you're having and like what's your advice for me and he gives him some advice and I don't know if you felt this way but like when Orson Welles is giving him that advice it sounds so like grandiose like almost like out of touch like absurd advice almost it's like just never compromise your vision like it sounds like when you ask a director like how do you you know, Steven Spielberg, like, what, how do you make your films? And he's like, I just create, you know, like, he just glosses over, like, his actual process and just gives you, like, the answer that you would like to hear. And then, um, you know, Johnny Depp's character, uh, his eyes are just lighting up. And I feel like, I don't know, there's something about earlier in the movie, he keeps getting advice from people that sounds kind of ridiculous. And he just automatically face value. I agree with that. And he does that again here. And I just think it's such a great payoff um just one of the funnier parts of the movie well me. and i think uh from from my perspective too is i can kind of put myself in uh his shoes at that moment right because uh, i've done a lot of conventions and stuff over the years and i've met you know honestly you know famous people who've done great things uh and you know you're talking to them and you start talking about like my own stuff right and i always feel kind of silly where it's almost like as I'm just doing this dumb thing where I'm making movies and they're goofy, right? Or trying to sell them on the idea of, hey, buy one of my movies or whatever. Uh, and so I feel like uh, I've been there where it's 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 almost like, holy crap, you're like someone I really admire and look up to as a as an artist and as a filmmaker or as an actor or whatever. And uh, I'm going to tell you about all the goofy ass crap I'm doing uh, that you know cost me very little, and I'm kind of. A nobody by comparison, but uh, uh, that's cool. Can you give me advice? You know what I mean? Where it's just like you turn into sort of a, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's like you, I, 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 I can put myself in, in, in his shoes at that moment where it's like, tell me the secret, you know? 
Yeah, just tell, tell me, what, me it what it is. I just love it because, and I'm not trying to downplay, you know, his braveness right, or no. anything like that. But I think it's a perfect moment because I think in a lot of movies you wouldn't have that scene where, you know, he meets his idol and that it right. goes well. It, somehow it does. And plus, you know, now that I've seen more or- Orson Welles films, uh, you know, as an adult, like even that part where he's like, oh, I'm supposed to do this movie where Charlton Heston's a Mexican. And I'm like, the root of evil. I know what he's talking about. <laughs> so I, I liked that payoff. Um, also, I noticed right away, I was like, that's not that guy's voice. That sounds yeah, like totally, the brain totally. from Pinky and the Brain. Said so to look it up. Yeah, yeah. And it is. Well, because, yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio sounds nothing like. Orson Welles and Orson Welles had that very distinct voice that, you know, they kind of had to right. do it. Um, <laughs> and I know, I mean, uh, with the, the brain, I mean, they, they purposely made him sound like Orson Welles. That was kind of what they're going for. Um, yeah. Merle, Maurice yeah. Lamar. What's, what's funny too is like, um, Orson Welles is one of those people that's kind of like, um, weirdly like, uh, an interesting case, uh, in that, you know, he's sure. he's really young and he makes this movie that's considered the greatest film of all time. And it's like he kind of had to then fight with that for the rest of his entire life to a certain extent, you know, where it's like. I think that happens Yeah, a lot too, where it's like they, you, know? you peak very early or you do something just that's just and everything from that point forward will forever be compared to that one thing you did. Uh, and and uh, to a certain extent, Ed Wood never had to deal with that, <laughs> you know. Right. I, that's true. I mean, you know, I've I've thought about that like, I mean, this is going to sound like a terrible example in light of the, you know, Michael Jackson documentary. I'm not trying to say he's like a good right. person or anything like that. But I remember hearing like, you know, his first album, uh, Bad, uh, did so well. Um, and he never, ever got anywhere close to that ever again. And, you know, as a kid that grew up listening to his music, uh, I wouldn't have known that. I just thought, oh, yeah, we we like Michael Jackson and everything he does. I, I didn't know that he had this cloud over him his whole career of, like, I'll never be as good as that first one. And I feel like that, that really does happen a lot. If, if you peak early like that, people are always over-critiquing everything you did after that. Um, even though Orson Welles made a bunch of incredible films that I really like, uh, Touch of Evil I love, but yeah, it's like it's it's weird that that we do that to to them to, to genius, right? Especially, uh, I mean, you have some, yeah, like uh, a good example, um, and I guess it's not as good of an example just because of you know, but you have someone like like a band like Nirvana, right? They put out Nevermind, and it changes the you know, everyone's like holy crap, and and from that point forward, it's like. You know, the next album after that and, and people are like, oh, OK, but it's not never mind. You know, it's like anything like that. Obviously, that's not mm-hmm. a great example, because after that, then tragedy strikes. But uh, you have, you know, bands or something that, 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 you know, that put out a great album early on. And from that point forward, it's like they're constantly chasing that constantly no matter what yeah i say that all the time um you know hypocritically about <laughs> bands that i like i'm notorious for saying like well it's not yeah. like the older stuff and it's like you know having and i said that again i said that about tim burton and it's like now that i'm really examining that i'm thinking about it again you know i'm like should i should i even yeah. be doing that like is that even fair uh and i think you're right i think music is a really good parallel it's almost identical and again it's hard to define it's so subjective you know what people like and why they like it it's like yeah should we be judging stuff that's so subjective that harshly Um, i think i've even experienced some of this stuff um in my own work is that you know i put out 
My first film, The Monster Phantom Lake, is still one of my most popular. That's 15 movies ago. Uh, and it's one of those ones that for years and years and years, I released The Monster Phantom Lake. It gets all these great reviews. It plays in all these film festivals. Uh, from that point forward, every movie I put out from that point forward, honestly, usually starts with a review or someone talking about it. They're like, oh, I like the new one. I still like The Monster Phantom Lake better. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say, like, from now on, you have no, to No, no, not at all. And I, and I totally get what you're saying. And I think that's part of the reason why the Monster Phantom Lake and the Giant Spider tend to be more popular is that they are more accessible in that way um, because they are sort of more fun, dumb, funny, crowd-pleaser types. Uh, and then you have some of my other stuff, which is maybe a little darker and a little more serious, and they're not necessarily played for laughs. They're played to be a little darker and a little more serious. Uh, but I think sometimes that makes them harder to take seriously because they look as cheesy and low budget as they are. So it's kind of, it's a weird line to walk. Uh, and I... I think it's a balance. But like, for instance, Ed Wood is that way, right? I mean, this has some really heartbreakingly personal moments that are, you know, I, I shed a tear when I see. But then, man, it's got some really funny moments, too, and truly funny. And I think that always impresses me when something can kind of be both. And I think, like, this movie, Beetlejuice, you know, I mean, you could you could look at them and say, like, oh, well, they're comedies, and they are, but they're a little deeper than that. You know, I think it's... it's uh, So, I think, yeah, I think it takes a balance, for sure. Right, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I... I think Ed Wood as a, as a film does a great job of balancing all of that uh, and seeing some of the, I guess, the comedy in the tragedy of it all, you know? Where, Definitely. I mean, isn't comedy cruel? You yeah. know, I mean, there there is a, there's a lot of heavy stuff that's going yeah. on, you know, with, with Ed Wood's character and what he's going through and the way he's being treated oh, yeah. uh, throughout the film there's so many like if they weren't playing it for laughs it would be so painful yeah. and uh, there are some moments that are so painful but then there's so much comedy to it too like i don't know i was thinking about that scene with uh, bella lugosi where he sees vampira on tv and he's you know he makes that comment like look at her oh, yeah. <laughs> um but uh he he does that weird like it's like for a moment I'm like, okay, is he going senile and he thinks he's Dracula? You know what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about where he's doing like the – and then Ed Wood's watching him. And instead of being genuinely freaked out, like a normal person would be like, this is weird and sad. You're wearing your Dracula costume <laughs> and now you think you can charm a woman on TV. Like I'm very worried right. for you. Instead, he's so won over by it. And then, like, throughout the movie, he he does that motion, like, more than once. Like, he just keeps reliving that. Like, that was so cool when Bela Lugosi did that. And I don't know. That movie, that part is, like, funny. But then on another level, it's, like, it's it's sad, too. I don't know. I just, there's so many moments like that in the film that sort of give you a and I Yeah, and I mentioned, too, even the, the, the octopus scene, right? Before that is, like, he goes yeah. and he finds him and, you know, he's... His addiction's kicking in. He needs a fix, right? He's he's just like, oh, I can't do it. I don't feel well. Uh, and he gets one, and suddenly it's like, woohoo, let's shoot this fucker, you know? Uh, so <laughs> yeah. it's like, uh, that's obviously played for comedic effect, but at the same time, I mean, you have to think about what's happening, uh, you know, that he's an addict and he needs it, and now he's like, woohoo, I'm great, let's do this. Uh, and, and so it's, there's a lot of moments like that where it's like, that's played for comedic effect, but... 
I mean, it is kind of sad and scary and, and kind of like, oh, poor guy. You know, it's like, it's too bad yeah. he's, he's dealing with this. Uh, and in a way that, you know, is just too, what is, what is anyone going to do? You know, it's like, it's, it's almost like you, they, they enable him to a certain extent because they have to, you know, it's like to get it done. Uh, what are they going to do? You know? Uh, yeah. And, and also I think they're humanizing him. Like they can't. I mean, he, he's not going to get help until he wants right. to, but but he's still a person, right. you know, so it's like, what do you do with that? And I think that's something that we struggle with. You know, you hear people say stuff like so hard line, like, well, we shouldn't give food stamps to, you know, addicts. And it's like, OK, but they shouldn't eat, yeah. you know, like it's like, <clears throat> where do you draw that line of uh, are you enabling or, you know, shunning this person from society until they change like. That didn't seem to work. Like, in fact, he changed after, you know, Ed Wood befriended him and was kind to him. That's when he decided finally to get clean towards well, the end. So yeah. it's, you know. And there's this this whole, like, too, discussion that could be had about addiction is that some of those folks who are like, well, when, uh, you know, we don't feel that, you know, if you're a, if you're a junkie or whatever, you, uh, you shouldn't be able to have food, food stamps because our money shouldn't be going to, you know. Blah, blah, blah. And these same people are saying this are probably, you know, some of these folks are alcoholics. Only because right, alcohol exactly. is a it's like, is a societally accepted, uh, you know, addictive drug uh, and something, you know, meth is not. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, we, we're making our own rules here, but the reality is, you know, everyone is, has value as a right. person. And we shouldn't be making up these strict rules anyway who, who yeah, knew that ed wood would get of... you and i so deep about society's problems <laughs> it does this movie messes me up i told you it's so funny but so sad at the same time um even the ending like the way they kind of you know they have they have that premiere which i love <laughs> and they, they show tor johnson's um, family that's one of my favorite things because they're all huge like he is that's one of my favorite yes it's so cute uh, <laughs> and and like uh you know they kind of run off into the sunset so to speak and get married but then they kind of gloss over real quick at the end like oh, Edward yeah. died he was an alcoholic yeah. uh you know and and everybody else's sort of end um so they kind of do again they mixing you know good moments funny moments with sad moments i i heard that uh you know sarah jessica parker's character doris like in real life his ex-wife was really upset that uh you know, she, she felt like she was unfairly portrayed, yep. that she did support him a lot in the beginning, but eventually she left him because of his addiction, which is valid. Yeah. I mean, that's that's true. That's how he died, essentially. And um, I don't blame her for leaving him. And I, I do think that maybe if this were made today, I, I feel like we've evolved with like uh, couples relationships where we don't always have to have somebody be a bad guy but it seems like in a lot of movies it's like we have to make her seem awful and then she goes away and we feel better about it you know it's hard for us to imagine him ending the relationship and she's not some horrible mean right. woman um, but the reality is you know she just couldn't take it anymore I think I think that's um, and she I left. think that's life though right is like uh, it's it's right. and I, maybe maybe that's the 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 whole thing about our discussion we're coming back to is just like a a, a, per, a perspective, right? Whose perspective mm -hmm. are we That's talking true. about yeah. here? Because uh, as as they're trying to sell this idea of you know Ed Wood the uh, the hero here, uh, his perspective may be that this is. You know, he's the hero of his own story, and I think you see that a lot. That's that's uh, valid, yeah. But yeah, I do think if it were made now, I think there would be maybe a little more nuance in that. Um, Right. And maybe not shy away from the 
sort of negative aspects of it, of maybe they don't end it where they ended it. Maybe they go all the way into like some of the sort of sad end of his life moments and, you know, making his, you know, porn movies and softcore porn movies and stuff uh, where they show that, you know, uh, but at the same time, do, do we need that? I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Cause we already have, I, I feel like the other reason they didn't do that is because we already have Bella Lugosi, yeah. you know, with struggling with addiction and they just didn't want to add another addictive yeah. character and just put like this layer of just sadness over the whole thing. Um, because they're not really telling a straight biopic no, there's definitely, movie. It's yeah. a comedy and it's, you know, so I think. And liberties I, were I taken with the story, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, um. I think there's there's some sort of hero worship going on too, and this is I think Tim Burton looking at Ed Wood as as sort of you know in 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 sort of looking up to him uh, in in a in a certain uh, respect, and I think you you maybe you want to be part of helping to you know Ed Wood obviously wanted uh, Bella Lugosi you know the, the hero worship that comes there of this is my hero and I want to present him in a good light. I want to I want to bring him back into right. the mainstream yeah. and get him the recognition I personally believe he deserves. Uh, and I think uh, to a certain extent, there's some of that going on maybe with Tim Burton and Ed Wood, where it's like, we don't need to show the crappy parts. I, I want I want to rejuvenate his image a little bit because everyone says he's the worst filmmaker ever made. And it's not true, you know. Uh, That's really valid. I I agree. I also think that it's a really clever way of showing different stages of his yeah. life without actually coming out and saying right. it by having Bella Lugosi there. Because if they did like a, I don't know, Citizen Kane approach, <laughs> <laughs> where you know we're seeing him from young to old, and oh my god, how tragic! You know, it's like that's so arresting. But to kind of have them side by side and helping each other, and you know, seeing the value in each other, it's like. I mean, aren't they kind of talking about Ed yeah. Wood, like you said? Like, So, I mean, yeah, it's just a, a different way of doing it and, and one that's a little bit easier to uh, to watch, frankly. And again, <laughs> to go back to sort of a point I've made numerous times is I think to a certain extent that uh, this film succeeds in the fact that it did rejuvenate Ed Wood's image. You know, I really do think without it, um, not that he would be forgotten, but I don't think he would be sort of remembered as he is now, uh, because I think it, it, the film helped to tell, you know, sort of set the official story as it were, you know, where it's like, uh, it may not be the correct story or the exact thing that happened, but it's the story everyone, kn everyone knows. And it, it brought his name out of the shadows and into the mainstream in a way that so many people now recognize Ed Wood as shorthand for bad, cheesy 50s B movies, right? Because uh, I don't know how many times, like, I've been, you know, people are like, I tell people the kinds of movies I make, and I hear them, oh, so you're kind of like, like the Ed Wood of Minneapolis. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh, that, yeah, that, now you can say that happily right, instead right. of and, like, oh, yes, I'm a degenerate. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, right. I, and I think it's like, you know, it's a fair thing to say, you know, just like I was humanizing Bela Lugosi. Well, yeah, let's humanize Ed Wood. He, he definitely had a sad end, but 
you know, it is kind of sad that when you die in a tragic way like that, it's like that's how you're remembered, yeah. you know, and as if everything else you did didn't have value. And then that, that shouldn't be the case. Right. I feel like you could play a drinking game to me saying value, <laughs> subjective. But but I think that's the thing. Is just, it's all about the, the sort of perspective of how you want to be remembered and seen. And, and I think this amazing piece of cinema helped to, you know, save Ed Wood to a certain extent uh, and, and bring him out of out of sort of obscurity and into the mainstream in a way that maybe he didn't even deserve. Uh, but because of, you know, his particular story uh, and, and the people who he affected uh, and, and just having this interesting life story, uh, it really does kind of, I mean, I guess he does deserve it. I mean, he obviously touched yeah. people in a way that, that uh, he inspired, yeah, that film. inspired the film and yeah. have inspired people ever since. And you know, I mean, uh, it's it's amazing. And this is this is a good opportunity because to talk about sort of the 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 legacy of this film and by extension Ed Wood's sort of place in cinematic history. Now, uh, I mean, you know, recently someone made like a a. A, uh, a an indie remake of the of the of Plan Nine from Outer Space, uh, and they tried to make it serious, right? Uh, I think it's just called huh. Plan Nine, uh, and actually stars uh, a, a guy I know uh, who's sort of playing the Criswell type character. Uh, and then uh, you know uh, a, a good friend of mine, a guy named Derek Cook, who is the host of a really great podcast that's. You know, second to yours, of course. Um, Monster Kid Radio, <laughs> uh, which it's it's Monster Kid Radio. It's all about sort of classic films. So obviously, you know, the good the good and not so good films of the fifties and sixties and you know forties through sixties kind of monster, you know, Monster Kid stuff. Uh, he did a, a cool offshoot recently that they just started to release uh, called Plan Nine by Nine, which is you know, there's the the Star Wars minute and there's the Beetlejuice minute which I mentioned when we did Beetlejuice, um, they did a, 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 a special podcast series that, uh, is not, they analyzed nine minutes of plan nine from outer space in every episode. Um, and so, I mean, it's like stuff like that, uh, that, uh, is, I think the legacy of this movie bringing that film and subsequently all of Ed Wood's work out of, obscurity because i do think it was you know it was pretty obscure before this came out uh honestly yeah that's true i mean and now you hear about it all the yeah. time and, and sometimes even from people that haven't seen ed Wood. or even or even seen plan nine from outer space you know what i mean it's like they they just know they just of know it, yeah. of it and it's become sort of weirdly shorthand for you know cheesy movies from that era yeah yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's incredible the way it's taken on a life of its own and, you know, influenced a lot of movies today. Like, uh, I, I think, you know, a part of me was sort of hesitant. I, I've seen The Room, um, not the Oscar winning movie, the other one. But when The Disaster Artist came yes. out, I kind of avoided it. I think a part of me was a little bitter. I'm like, where were you guys on Edward? <laughs> Where were you? Because I, I felt like it's going to be like that. I, I, I could predict it. I'm like, it's going to be heartwarming. It's going to be tragic, but fun. You know, and then I saw the reviews and I still haven't seen it. I just like 
I know that's silly. I can't bring myself to because of how much I love this movie. I know that sounds <laughs> weird, but it's like, yeah, it, it, it it's that, you know, and you, there's a, been a lot of movies and things like that since. Like I even think of a podcast that I really like that I talk about on here a lot that also inspired me. Uh, how did this get made? I like that podcast because they talk about bad movies, but they have such a love for them. Mm-hmm. Like no matter how mean they get, there's this undercurrent of, but we're in the film industry and we kind of get it and we love movies and I loved bad movies growing up. And I do wonder like how much of that do we owe to this movie? Yeah. You know, um, because I feel like there wasn't a lot of that openness, loving things that are terrible before that. And now it's like we have MST3K and all these other things, maybe and partly and thanks to this film. I would, I would say so. I think that um, uh, it did sort of open the door for looking at looking at things differently and 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 maybe accepting that you know not every movie has to be citizen kane maybe some of these movies <laughs> so maybe some of the worst of the worst actually have more worth in the grand scheme of things uh simply because they're more f- fun or more affecting in some way or you know maybe the fact that they're less challenging sometimes makes it more exciting and more fun to watch uh in that you don't right. have to <laughs> You know, like really, you know, um, challenge your preconceptions of whatever the hell it is. Uh, you can just watch a movie and laugh at the fact that you can see the strings. And that's that's the fun is it's it's like seeing, you know, uh, community theater. You know, it's like there's Broadway and then there's community theater and both have value. I know. And I love. Community right. Theater. And both have value uh, and both have, you know, uh you, you you have to respect both for what they are, um, mm-hmm. and never you should never expect one to be the other, and try and look at it in its own its own you know way. Uh, you can't go to a community theater play and just be like, well, I you know I saw the Lion King on Broadway, and this this just is not that. Well, of course it's not that, but what did you think of <laughs> what it is? Uh, and that's. Maybe that's part of what's, you know, I wish people would do more in everything uh, entertainment-based. It's just like, well, okay, I get what you wanted it to be or what it's not, but what do you think about what it is? Yeah, I'm always saying, like, please support your local theater and art scene. You know, it's like you have no idea the value in that. You know, it's like... I know it's hard, you know, no, it, you know, plays, they're, they're long, they're live, I get it. But like, you should go out there and see yeah. some, you yeah. know, and it's like, that's, that's a true art that, you know, the, those people spent so much time building those sets and putting it together and rehearsing and putting it on. Like, I feel like you owe it to them to show up in a way. And I think sometimes we just get so busy, especially with everything being so accessible now that we're losing sight of how much work actually goes into stuff like that. Yeah. So my last two questions for you, um, number one, uh, you know, we've talked about this for two hours now, but why do you think you've seen this movie so many times? Like what, what makes you come back? Honestly, I just every, sometimes I, I feel like I always go back to it partially because just, I love it and it's just entertaining. So sometimes I'll be going through like I've got some downtime. I want to watch a movie. I'll be flipping through my movies and be like, Oh, Ed Wood, I'm gonna watch that. Uh, but I noticed that I often, when I start feeling kind of negative about my, my own work, uh, or feel like, what's the point anymore? Cause I think every artist goes through that of just like, why do I even bother? Uh, Maybe I'm just having a bad day or read a really bad review or I just out of energy, maybe a little burnt out, whatever. 
I'll often watch this one just to, just because it's it's there's so much joy in in watching sort of uh, them present the idea of making movies, uh, and I'm reminded again why this inspired me so much in the first place, uh, and so it's it's always nice to sort of re revisit it and be like, yeah, that's why, that's why, that's the inspiration right there, and you get sort of like re-energized a little bit. So that's that's definitely probably one of the biggest reasons I come back to it, other than the fact that it's just entertaining as hell and i just really like it yeah i i i've seen this movie several times and i think you know i've already mentioned being a big fan of cinema makes me connect to it and then the other thing i would say is that i guess you know without getting like all like "Mm, poor me but like i i think i've always felt a little other you know the term Mm -hmm. weirdo i've heard more than once i mean ever since it's funny because like i was trying to explain this to my dad one time and he like he's like what are you talking about i'm like no you you don't know but like from the time i was a child to an adult i have been told so many times oh you're weird you're quirky and that label gets to the point where you get real tired of hearing it like you know i realize it because i've been weird quote unquote for 35 years i don't always know what it means but i know that everyone thinks that and every once in a while somebody feels safe telling me like they're like you know what i mean you're like weird and i'm always like no i feel like i'm me i don't put that extra weird label on it i think i'm just a regular person uh but thanks for reminding me that i'm weird that was not helpful so (laughs) like you know and it's like i on a surface level i know that i'm a geek and that i cosplay and that i spend way too much time watching star trek and star wars and everything else so i mean i know what they mean but on another level it's like you get tired of feeling like you're on the outside all the time and so I think I fought that for a while of trying to sort of push that part of myself down and like let's be an adult and put all this away and like be normal (laughs) now and I can't so it's (laughs) it's like literally impossible for me to be a normal person and spend my time doing normal adult stuff I spend all my time on this podcast and watching weird movies so I've surrounded myself with other weirdos and it makes me feel normal so I think that there's a big part of me that relates to that as well um I yeah I I totally get it and and I'm kind of right there with you uh and I think uh this is why uh when we do you do have me on the show it it always goes on so long is because I think uh we instinctually kind of get this you know it's like that feeling of sort of being a weirdo on the outside right of just like, uh, even when you're around people to a certain extent, you feel like, like just different and, and out, outside of things. Like you're just, your mind's working differently or it's just people perceive you as weird. I think a lot of it is know? perception because uh, I remember when I was watching, again, I keep going back to the interview. Tim Burton was like, as a kid, I really liked monster movies. And that weirdly put me in a different category from other children. It was like, you're weird. You like monster movies. And he thought, I don't think that's weird. And it's like, you know, no. and I think I've always felt that way. Or I'm like, I feel like if you got to know me, I'm pretty boring. I'm not this like exciting, eccentric, mad scientist weirdo. But I think when you admit to having tastes that are outside of, you know, what the mainstream is, it puts you in a category. Right. And people are so excited to put you in a category. And so you kind of, I think a lot of people that, that are in this arena of loving film or loving any sort of fandom sort of all instinctually get, like you're saying what Tim Burton's kind of advertising in these movies is like, I feel this way. And interestingly enough, you know, a lot of creative people do feel that way. 
and they're seen that way. Yeah. You know, so I think the yeah. fact that he's able to sort of comment on that in some of his best films, but in like a funny and happy way, because I don't feel like his movies are like depressing either. Like you would expect them to be really sad because they deal with death and they deal with, you know, being on the right. outside, but they're not sad. And he's not necessarily sad. He's on the outside. He's just sort of commenting on like, it's weird. People think this about me. <laughs> like they're weird, yeah. you know, and showing the, the opposite. It's like, they're strange for thinking I'm weird. I don't know. If that makes sense. But yeah, that's, that's why I like this movie so much. Cause I get it. I, I understand all these people feel, I feel like I'm a weird, you know, theater kid that didn't, wasn't in the theater a whole lot, but, but gets it. Um, so also what is your pitch for this movie? Like, how do you sell this to someone that hasn't seen it before? Wow. I don't know if I've (laughs) ever had to sell this to anybody before. Um, It's a hard sell, I think, unless they know what it's about, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that I. I've. I've never honestly thought about having to really try and sell this to anyone. Um, generally, because if usually when I if I were to bring this movie up to people, they're usually like the types of folks who I guess I would know uh, have already seen it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I love that movie," uh, or uh, you know, there are other like Tim Burton people. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> We're like, "Oh, of course I've seen that." You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know that I've ever had to be like. Okay, here is why you should see this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that is a really hard question without sort of thinking about it. <laughs> and then, can I can I can I get back to you on that? No, I don't no, know. You know. I think what's interesting about this film is that I don't know that you recommend it to people. Does that sound weird? Like I think you either get it. No, or you I totally don't. get it. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and I think I think maybe the only way I've ever sort of tried to recommend it is is whenever I've told the story of how it sort of inspired me. Uh, and I think that's probably as close as I've ever gotten to recommending it is if people in interviews or whatever have asked, you know, why do you do this kind of movie? What was your inspiration for it? Uh, and I'll bring up that, oh, yeah, you know, the movie Ed Wood. Um, and that's sort of as close as I think I've probably gotten to any kind of an endorsement for people seeing it is just like, if they like my movies, they may be like, okay, well, what was it about this movie that inspired him to do his, you know, make his movies? And I think that's probably as close as I've ever gotten to. But I don't think I've ever full, full on recommended it. Be like, you must see Ed Wood other than in this very uh, long um, podcast we've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like this will be one of those episodes where I'll get like a couple people that are like, man, I love that movie, it speaks to me, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think I'm going to get any people that are like, I decided to sit down and watch this film after your compelling arguments. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know if I could talk someone into it. I think I'd look like that gif of Charlie Day, like with the crazy map on the wall. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they would just be like, you're scaring me. <laughs> but um, but like, yeah, uh, no, okay. I don't know. I yeah. think I think if you love movies and you love film, it's probably something you're going to stumble on and watch and enjoy. Maybe that's all I can say. Right. And if you're a Tim Burton fan, like you said, yeah. obviously you're going to like it. Yeah, if you like Tim Burton, you must see it. If you don't, don't start here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be like pretty uh, much any of the other ones. But eventually make your way yeah, here. That's a good wrap up. Well, you've kind of mentioned it a little bit, but where can people find you? Like what, you know, what websites do we direct them to? Well, uh, obviously, um, I got to say again, come out to any events you may see me at. If I'm near you, you must do it. Um, 
But uh, you can find me online at my website at SaintEuphoria.com, which is my uh, production company, St. Euphoria Pictures. Uh, if you can't remember St. Euphoria or can't spell it, uh, go to TheGiantSpider.com and it'll get you there. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that good stuff. So you can follow me on social media, Google me, Christopher R. Mim, M-I-H-M, uh, and you can find a, a lot of stuff. In, and, and if you go to Amazon, and I encourage people to do this, um, you can buy my movies. I, I own the company that distributes my films as well. So if you would like to check some out, you can buy DVDs and now Blu-rays of all my films uh, at my website, sayingeuphoria.com, or you can buy them on Amazon. You can also stream my films on Amazon. Uh, and I ask, if you stream my films on Amazon, um, watch them all the way through because that helps keep my mo movies on Amazon. They, they gauge how many people start watching and then stop watching something. Uh, so if you start watching a movie, even if you don't like it, just let it run all the way through. Mm. Uh, go in the other room or sit on your phone or whatever. Uh, and then after it's done, give it a star rating. Man, you should write like a, you probably already have, but like an article on this. Because I feel like there's a lot of people that don't know that. Yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of the, the stuff. If it's, you know, Amazon has been doing kind of a, a purge lately of independent films. And uh, if if uh, people want to continue seeing independent films on, on Amazon, you need to watch some Amazon films from beginning to end and then rate them. You don't have to review them, although good reviews are always appreciated. Bad ones, if you're going to write a bad one, be articulate about it. Don't just be like, this is dumb. Uh, actually tell me why you think it's bad. Uh, but uh, definitely watch it from beginning to end and give it a star rating afterwards. That helps keep them on there because it shows a level of customer engagement. Mm. And that's what they're they're using as their way to purge some of these independent films now is if the customers aren't engaged, clearly that means that no one really wants this on their system and their, you know, their service and they're, they're now starting to pull That's those. That's so weird so, because, I mean, honestly, like know. a lot of people do not leave reviews. Right. And honestly, like I said, you don't have to, you don't have to leave reviews. Just watch it all the way through and then maybe give it a star well, rating. Well, even a rating. Um, like that's, ideally, that's for, you know, like I, I yeah. ask on every show, I'm like, rate my show. Like that doesn't always happen. You know, people don't always take that right. extra step. So that's unfortunate. And 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 know that uh, if, if it's less than three stars, uh, that will negatively affect whether or not it stays on the service. Um, so if you didn't like it, at least three stars. Maybe don't give it a star rating. But if you like at least three, give it three. Because uh, I actually had one of my films drop off the service because the star rating fell below three. Uh, so it was immediately pulled from the service. So I'm kind of living in constant fear that at any moment they're just going to pull my movies. Ugh. And then I don't really have too many digital streaming, uh, you know, um, uh, opportunities out there just because there aren't a lot of well-known services that, uh, want to give independents like myself a chance because uh, I'm kind of a true independent in that I'm, you know, self-distributing my work uh, and I don't have like a third party in there trying to take half. Gotcha. <laughs> I make so little as it is. Uh, I can't give up half and continue to make movies. Let's just say gotcha. that. Gotcha. Okay. Ending on a, a somber so note. <laughs> on a somber note. But just watch my movies, yeah. check them out, and then you know, give them a well, chance. Well, on, on a on a high note, I guess I'll see you this weekend, and I hope some of you out there listening, I hope I'll see you there too. Yeah. Yeah. Come on out. It's it's uh, it's good stuff. 
Well, Christopher, thank you so much for coming back. As always, like really appreciate the conversation. And I don't know, I just really hope that people listening to this episode will, you know, be inspired to check out this film, but also be inspired to check out your work and be personally inspired to to create something. Because I think, you know, even though my podcast is just talking about movies, that's my hope too, is that people will go out there and create content, you know, that they feel inspired and moved right. to do so. So Exactly. So much. And that's 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 Ed Wood right, right there. Yeah. I mean that's 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 the beauty of this movie is <laughs> that it shows that of the inspiration of being inspired to, to, to go out and create stuff. And continue listening, everybody, to this amazing podcast because it is it's a good yes, one. Please listen. Uh, and we need more positive <laughs> uh, positivity around movies and popular entertainment and entertainment in, in general because uh, we live in a very cynical age so it's nice that someone's out here like saying well why do you like it not why do you hate I'm it i'm trying but why and do you i'm like a it? naturally very oh. cynical person so it's amazing that i'm able and, to, and make, <laughs> to maintain a positive attitude well right? see and i am too which is amazing that a lot of my movies tend to be like lighter and 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 family friendly when if you actually sit down and talk to me I'm, I'm not, I have a very foul mouth and I, you know, I swear a lot. And yet I'm making these like family friendly monster movies. So who knows? It's, Maybe we, we create the things that we want, we want to right. be. Yeah. Right? No, I, I think that's very true. I think that when people are like, you're so nice and always so positive about movies. I'm like, oh God, that's not true. <laughs> you don't, don't look at my at Twitter. <laughs> but yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> my personal Twitter. Anyway. Um, and 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 I think you need to to make sure people are aware that there now exists. I love that movie T-shirt. Oh yeah, thank you. That's another plug I needed to put. It's on Teespring. I'll post the link in the show notes. But you know, please buy a shirt. Um, you're basically yeah, I, just. I got one myself. They're yes, very nice. Thank you. And by by nature, you know, this is. Uh, I always say like this podcast is like not about me. I'm not like the star of the podcast. And like, if we meet up, it's like, you're meeting me, the famous podcaster. Like, this is a, like, like what you've created. It's a community and um, we're in a club together, you know? And so I had a couple people yep. ask about shirts and that's why I created the link. Um, so yeah, I'm not like making a million dollars off shirts, obviously, but if you feel compelled, buy one because I, I want to see that. And want to welcome you into our movie and it club. helps and it helps spread the word without having to constantly tell everybody just point about to the your shirt because you're just it's easy yeah you're just a walking billboard i mean that's 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 the right. whole point right? <laughs> exactly right plus it shows everyone else you're cool yeah and, and remember that's i know we already we talked should. about doesn't actually yeah. matter but <laughs> still. still the most important thing you need to walk away with tonight is you have to maintain your level of coolness it's definitely right. been my message right. um yeah, well, right. again, the thank whole, you so this much. This whole thing, yeah. And uh, yep, thank have a you. Good one. You too.